Ah, hey, how's everybody doing? It is July 19th, 2022, and this is the Jeff Gerstmann Show. Hello, I'm Jeff Gerstmann, as it turns out, and thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to the program this is the this is the seventh one of these. We've done se- this is we've done six of these already. This is episode seven. We'll be in the double digits soon. One of these days here. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's what it's been a it's been a bit of a um another another weird week around here. Or oh, not weird. Weird is not the right word. But uh, you know it's uh. My my daughter's birthday is this week, and so the schedule's been a little uh, changed up to facilitate that, and that's been that's been fun so far. We've got a little bit of uh, family coming into town, and um, that's going to be fun. You know, I I was talking a little bit about it yesterday, but there's we you know there's still like how do we ho- we have to host people? And we how do we we have to get uh food we have to i guess we probably need to get a case of beer right uh i mean she's turning three so we have to get a case of beer that's just that's that's just how that all works right um yeah so it's it is and so you know we 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 got a cake for her last year and stuff and she didn't really like it and she was not really up for eating anything like that at that point but i think this year's going to be different. She has very specific requests about dresses and ice cream cakes and, and all this other stuff. So it's been, uh, it's been fun. She's been, she's been talking about it for like the last month or probably like the last three months, honestly, talking about her, her birthday. So, um, so yeah, that, that's been, uh, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, meanwhile, the boy is now a little, he's, he's, he is 10 months old. And so as such, he has grown out of the bassinet we were keeping him in in this room at night. And so we have replaced it with a a larger receptacle for him to sleep in. A more comfortable one, I think, too. So so that's pretty nice. Um, Are we getting Fudgy the Whale? That's a great question. No, there's no, you know, there's no Carvel out west as far as I know. Maybe there's one somewhere, right? But I, I don't know. I have never seen... Believe, believe me, I have wanted to get my hands on a cookie puss for longer than most of you have been alive, but uh, no such luck. No such luck. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if anything changes on, on that front. But yeah, I, I don't think there's any kind of, I don't think there's any kind of Carvel anything out here. So, uh... So yeah, you know, other than you know the Patton Oswalt bit and some other stuff, you know, there's not a lot, a lot of, not a lot of uh, opportunities to to hook up a Carvel. But we are we are go- we are going with an ice cream cake. I'm like talking quietly in case she's listening at the door. But yeah, no, we are we are going with an ice cream cake and uh, a lot of Frozen themed stuff because she's uh, obsessed with Frozen, the films. Frozen and Frozen 2, as well as the short film, Frozen, 
the birth it's the one about birthdays it's the, it's like eight minutes long and it's about birthdays and yeah so it's yeah there's there's been a lot of uh anna and elsa talk around here they're eventually going to make a frozen three and i will ha i will have to see it um i believe i've said before i think frozen two is a terrible film i think frozen two is uh is is just awful <laughs> is 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 just an awful awful movie in terms of how it uh how it all tries to come together and 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 the the nature of it just the just it, it is astoundingly bad the songs are worse the, the 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 it's it's a it's a bad movie they will eventually make another one though i'm sure and maybe they'll get it back on track I don't know. I figure. I feel like if you're gonna make a Frozen trilogy, then by the end of Frozen three, one of those girls has to be having a kid or something, right? To set up the next generation of Frozen films, or like some kind of like Frozen cartoon TV show serial thing on Disney Plus, right? I mean, they kind of they'll end with just like, all right, now there's kids, and now Olaf and these kids are gonna go get into trouble and sing even worse songs because the budget's even lower. Will we get Josh Gad for a television show? Who can say? Who can say? Anyway, the guy who played the new Agent Smith in that last Matrix movie plays Kristoff in the Frozen films. And uh, that's that. I, I, that's all. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have anywhere that I'm going with that other than I really liked that. Uh, I really liked that Matrix movie. And uh, I should uh, I should watch it again one of these days. It was cool as hell. Um, what do we got today? We'll tease it out. What do we got? We're going to talk about some Escape Academy. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit of my Neo Geo Pocket Color emulation adventures and retro achievement adventures and such. And uh, we're going to talk. I'm, I'm uh, we're going to talk a lot about Unity. As it turns out, we're going to talk a little bit about Warframe, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, a little, a little bit to say on Bayonetta 3 and all that sort of stuff. But really, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Unity and John Bricatello, a name that has not come up in quite some time. And uh, it's a very nostalgic feeling to be back in a situation where we are about to uh, talk a gang of shit about some stuff that John Riccatello said. So, why don't you hold tight? We'll take a very quick break, and when we get back, we'll get into some video games. All right, stay tuned. Hey, it's hot out there. Well, yeah, warm weather is here. Is it ever going to go away? That well, you know, that's a conversation probably larger than uh, the the scope of what we're here to talk about today. But these hot sleepless nights uh, that, that I've been running into have been uh, a real bummer. And so you're looking for any way out there to stay cool at night. You know, I don't want to wake up sweaty. I don't want to wake up sticky. So that's why there's Miracle Brand's self-cooling bed sheets so I can stay comfortable all night long. And that's what you need. These self-cooling properties of the Miracle Brand sheets they use silver-infused fabrics originally developed by NASA. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that NASA. The national, the national NASA. 
and then the A, and that whatever the aeronautics space space. Miracle Bread sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so that you get better sleep every night. And that natural silver that's in there prevents 99.9% of bacterial growth. That leaves them staying cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets, so they don't get munged up and gross and stinking. It just you know keeps the disgusting odors away longer for you, which is nice. Plus, they're comfortable. What would be the point, right? If you're like, ah, oh, I got these nice silver sheets. They don't stink, but it's like I'm rubbing straw on my body at night. No, luxurious comfort and quality without the high price tag of other luxury brands. These sheets use a premium 500 thread count sateen weave. That's right. And that's made with American, United States, USA grown Supima cotton. Sup- Supima? Sup- Supima? I'm looking over here at my producer. Oh, wait, I don't have a producer. I'm looking at the wall. The wall is not telling me the pronunciation. All right, well, we'll move on. It's one of the highest quality cottons in the world. And it's better for your skin. Stop sleeping on gunk, on bacteria. Clean sheets means less bacteria. And that means that's not around to clog your pores. So there's fewer breakouts and other skin problems. Hey, you want to try this out? Yes, of course you do. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff to try it today. And we've got a special deal. That's right, for you, the listener, Use that promo code Jeff at checkout to save 40% and get three free towels. That Hey, 40% is a big number. That's almost half. And then you three free towels on top of that. That is the savings on top of savings. And Miracle is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. That's right. A full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Brand. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff and use the promo code Jeff to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Jeff. And thanks to Miracle Brand for sponsoring the episode. Okay, here we are. Hello. Hi, let's talk about some video games. I don't have a I, I don't have a button on my I don't have a button on my thing that says here's the video game music. We should probably get some we should probably have some video game music. I should probably dig into the uh what do we you know, what do we maybe hmm What do we got? What do we got? There's uh what about what about th- what about this? No, that's that's for something. I'm using that for something else already. This is too long, but video games, they're back. Maybe I'll just get some um some recordings of um Pac-Man for the Atari 2600 and play that in the background. You know, the the sound of it's time it's time for video games on any good on any reputable television show. Uh you know, that's that's what they're going to use. We'll we'll cut that off. All right. Um Capcom Arcade Second Stadium is coming out this week. I believe it's out uh Thursday. 
And this is Capcom's new collection of Capcom arcade classics. Um, There's a video up on YouTube right now if you want to see me monkeying around with that thing a bit and going through the list of games. It's a weird collection because when I think about the classics of the Capcom canon of its arcade era specifically um almost all of the games that you would that would come to mind are represented on the first one of these collections and so capcom arcade second stadium has like of like there are some bangers on there for sure and some games that i love but also it has a lot of fighting games on it and they just put out that capcom fighting collection and the fighting collection has online multiplayer and Capcom Arcade Second Stadium does not. And so it's a really weird conundrum because on one hand, you're like, dang, this has Puzzle Fighter on it. I love Puzzle Fighter. One of the greatest games of all time. Or dang, this has gun.smoke on it. I sure do love gun.smoke. Or, you know, me personally, I am the world's biggest speed rumbler fan. But, like, you know, it, it has Street Fighter Alpha 3 on it. And you're like, great, awesome. It's got Hyper Street Fighter 2, the anniversary edition on it. You're like, that's a neat game. But the fight, it's got, a, you know, a couple of Darkstalkers games. Like, there's a, there's a lot of stuff on here that is also a part of that Capcom fighting collection. So the overlap there is really strange. So if you already bought that, that's a big chunk of games on this collection. You're like, well, whatever, who cares? And so what's left is like, okay, I guess I could play Pinikis and Block Block and, uh, you know, Black Tiger and Magic Sword. Like, you know, I, some people find those to be absolute classics. I'm, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge Magic Sword fan. Uh, Black Tiger is neat, but also, you know, it, you know, they put Ghosts and Goblins and Ghouls and Ghosts on the first one. They put Commando on the first one. I'm pretty sure Forgotten Worlds is on the first one. I think that this a lot of the a lot of the games you think of as just like, yo man, Capcom's got some arcade games, and you're like, damn right they do, like blah 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 blah. Like, you know, the first 10, 5 to 10 you're gonna come up with were probably in that first collection. And so this second collection of things like Three Wonders and Exit Xes and 1943 Kai, which I appreciate, uh, is um it's a little weird. It's a, it's a weird collection, both you know for the, for the for the stated reasons of the Capcom Fighting Collection exists and the collection of games on this package are maybe a little deeper down the rabbit hole, and that doesn't mean they're bad games. In fact, I again, I, I could talk the 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 music in Stage One of the Speed Rumbler is some of the best video game music of its era. I love it. I love it. I love the way Speed Rumbler controls. The car handles well in a really skiddy kind of exciting way, but um, it's a really weird pack. So you you kind of have to know what you're looking for uh, to to get into the Capcom Arcade Second Stadium. Uh, it's got online leaderboards and stuff like that, which is fun. Like if you want to play those games and compete online, uh, that that's pretty cool. Uh, assuming again the game's not out quite yet as of this recording you know assuming that those leaderboards don't get overtaken by cheaters at least on pc you know that's always the danger i feel like it's kind of a crapshoot right when you a game gets online leaderboards like uh, are the developers interested in maintaining the sanctity and purity of those leaderboards 
And did they program in anything that's going to prevent people from cheating uh, or or not, right? And it's it's kind of, it's maybe 50-50 sometimes as to wh whether or not uh, those games get protected in that specific way. Um, but, you know, it's got rewind. It's, it's got stuff. It, it, it doesn't really have a lot of, like, archive material. In fact, I don't believe it actually has any. Um, and so I, I wish that there was just kind of more... Like imagine, you know, the the kind of digital eclipse treatment on this. If if they could get access, if they could track down like the developers of Speed Rumbler, the developers of Gunsmoke and how they feel about their game not being able to be called Gunsmoke anymore for, you know, presumably, uh, you know, licensing copyright reasons and all that sort of stuff and, and, and all that. Like I, I would love to watch some translated interviews of the people that worked on some of these games, especially some of these games that are not like the high tier, like a list Capcom games, like the kind of stuff that's a little bit lower down, I, I think would be fascinating to hear some of those, those stories as well. So I, you know, I, I wish that there was some more good archive material here. It doesn't have that. So, you know, kind of know that going in, but it's again, it's got speed rumbler. It's got gun smoke for me. That's like, okay, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it or, and and then I say that, but also for me, uh, there are a lot of ways to, there are a lot of ways to play these Capcom games these days in, in the, in these modern times. So is this the best way to do it? Mm, I don't know. We'd have to do a lot of frame by frame comparisons, all that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, and I've not done that work, but, uh, I'd say they, they handle pretty well. They seem, they seem accurate enough, but, uh, you know. You know, with these old games. Escape Academy is also out and available now. Um, this is Coin Crew Games, who I, I guess that their, uh, their legacy is apparently in bespoke arcade machines for, like, locations. Like, they, don't, they aren't necessarily making a ton of cabinets or anything like that, but they've outfitted various establishments, and, and, and they also got into building genuine escape rooms. And now you know, as a result of the pandemic and all this other stuff and actual physical escape rooms be maybe not being too viable over the last couple of years, they have gone and made an escape, uh, an escape room video game. And it's pretty good. It's a really strange thing because if, if you, okay, think about it like this. And this is, there's a, there's a video of this up on YouTube of me playing this, uh, playing through the first few levels of this if you if you want to see some for yourself it, it's it's good it's a good like point and click style adventure game but it is well you are pointing and clicking but you were doing it from a first person perspective i guess is the is the rub there and it is very contained i like it a lot more than i thought i would but at the same time, like playing a bunch of it, like, you know, as a result of it being these kind of contained rooms that you are solving and moving on to the next thing, you know, when you think about a point and click adventure game, you think about like, oh, you're collecting all this inventory and story is kind of woven into the puzzles and all this sort of stuff. And, and all of it kind of comes together here. Everything feels very separated where it's like, okay, there's some story stuff kind of tying it together. You're attending an academy to become an escapist, I guess. Um, and so they put you into these rooms. But once you're in the rooms, the timer's running and there's not really a ton of text or 
or or, or, or speech or any, anything of, of that nature that, that really kind of ties it all together when you're in the game part of the game. And so when you're doing a room in Escape Academy, you're very focused on like the inventory that you have in front of you, the puzzles you see in front of you, and then you complete them. And they are puzzles for puzzles sake. In a lot of cases, it's not like problem solving per se. A lot of the time, the way an adventure game may be. And so it feels like very, it feels very stripped down. And in some ways that's kind of cool because it's all right in front of you and you're just bang, 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 bang. And you're solving these puzzles and going like, I'm the smartest motherfucker in the world. Um, but it all feels a little bit empty as a result. And so you end up in lots of situations where you're like, I've got three things in my inventory and there's two puzzles. And I know that I'm going to use two of these items here and two, you know, like you, by process of elimination, you can start to solve some of the puzzles, at least early on. Again, I, you know, I've played through the first third or so of the game. So ideally it, you know, I, it's going to, it's going to ramp up in difficulty for sure, but ideally it, it does it in ways that, um, provide more like logical, sensible complexity, I guess. Is, is the thing that I'm hoping that the rest of the game does because so far it's like not baby's first adventure game is too is too mean I do like the game but it, again it's a situation where like when you finish it your inventory is emptied and you go into the next one fresh and so it's like you don't end up with these situations where you're like ah, what am I you know like I said I was saying yesterday like you know you you don't end up with like, oh, I've, I've got like this rubber chicken and a pulley. What the fuck do I do with this? Like, you know, you're not, you don't have a, a long time to marinate on any one item or, or any, any kind of one specific weird thing that way. And, um, and that's, that's, it makes it just feel a little bit flat in some ways, but also again, it, it changes the scope of, of the game. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, uh, because point and click adventure games kind of went away for a reason, right? So, so in a lot of ways, this is kind of taking a lot of concepts that you would think of as being part of that genre of games and putting it into something that's a little more streamlined. And I like it. It looks, it looks nice. It's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good looking game and the puzzles so far have been fun. I ran into one that was color oriented and, and, you know, being colorblind, that was a little, uh, a little funky, but, um, but yeah, um, escape Academy's out now. I believe it is on, I believe it is on game pass. They're also going to sell a season pass for that. Uh, there's online so you can get in there and do multiplayer that I have not tried that. And uh, that doesn't, I don't know. That seems like a game you could do by streaming it to someone over discord or something um as opposed to having everyone in the game with you walking around like that that doesn't i don't know it doesn't immediately seem super necessary um <laughs> the uh, the other uh, man so i i reinstalled warframe it happens once a year or so where Something happens in the Warframe. Usually Tenocon happens, the annual Warframe convention. I don't know if they did a phys I don't think they did a physical event, but uh I reinstalled Warframe because they started talking about Warframe again. Apparently that's all it takes for me to go like Warframe. Yeah, Warframe. And so I reinstalled it, and I'm pleased to announce that unlike last year's Warframe install. 
where I ran the stealth mission I was stuck on and failed it. This time I ran the stealth mission and completed it. It was not especially fun. The the stealth the 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 stealth thing in that game is is not great cuz like if you set off an alarm near the objective that you're trying to get to, then eventually that objective can be destroyed and so you can just straight up fail the mission that way. And uh that's probably like a trivial thing if you are playing a lot of Warframe. As someone who's not played Warframe in a year, the stealth feels very tacked on. It does not feel like a full-fledged system in the game. It's more just like, oh, yeah, you've set off the alarms and you better hurry up and disable it. By the way, do you remember what the alarm disabling minigame even looks like? Well, we're going to show it to you. You're like, oh, shit, okay. Um, And so I, I progressed there. Um, I leveled up my weapons, which is weird because I thought the weapons I were, I was using, I thought that they were at the level cap. So maybe they increased the level cap at some point in the past. And then I, um, stared at a bunch of menus and was like, I have no idea what any of this is. There's a way to auto equip mods. And so I hit that a couple of times and, uh, and that went okay. And then I looked in the menu and saw something every year I see something called Railjack which I think is you get your own spaceship and do some shooting in a spaceship. And I was like, that sounds like it could be cool. And so I tried to join some kind of rail Jack training mission, rail Jack. I just, I don't even like if nothing else, can we at least respect that the words rail Jack are really fun to say rail Jack. We're going to get out there and do some rail jacking, railing, jacking. My two favorite things in that order. Um, and so I hit rail Jack on the menu and it was like, if you own your own rail Jack, you can do this. If you don't, you can join a rail Jack crew. And I'm like, hell yeah. Put me on the rail Jack crew. I do. Or do I own a rail Jack? I have no idea. Where's a thing that says you own a rail Jack. There's just a menu here and it, it literally just says rail Jack. Railjack. And then I ended up teleporting, you know, it ended up loading me into a different spaceship. And there were three other people on the spaceship, and the spaceship was just in some kind of hyperspace where it was just like flying forward at high speeds. And there was nothing out there in space to look at. It was just, you know, um, weird speed lines flying past you. And I connected, and the other three people dropped out, and then I was alone on a railjack. And nothing ever happened. I ran around for like 10 minutes and it was just like, I'm still in this hyperspace thing and I can go man turrets, but there's nothing to shoot because I'm in hyperspace. It won't even let me shoot. It, I can't just dump into space to practice the feeling of shooting. And I just walked around this ship for a while, completely lost going like, I don't, is this my rail Jack? Did I, do I, did I own a rail Jack this entire time? Or is, am I on someone else's rail jack and they all quit? And so I, I'm stranded on a, a rail. Am I stranded on a rail jack that's never going to land? Do rail jacks land? What's a rail jack? Help. Uh, and so I had to eventually hit Alt F4 to get out of the game because I didn't see anything there in any of the menus that would let me quit the rail jack and get back to my normal ship for doing missions or or whatever. And so... Uh, I just had to hit all the four and that was it. That was my time with Warframe. <laughs> See you next year, Warframe. 
Except I still have Warframe installed, so I don't know. There's a part of me that's just like, what if I played more Warframe? Um, but then I, I was hearing from a couple of people that Destiny has gotten good again. And I was like, what if I played some Destiny 2? So, we'll see. We'll see, Warframe. I don't know. Uh, I, every time I play Warframe, I'm like, man, there are really there are elements of this game that are really awesome. There are parts of Warframe that are really nice, that look really good, that are like satisfying, that are interesting, and there are parts of it that are just like, man, you have been working on this game for a lot of years, haven't you? You have been stacking things on top of things for a very long time, haven't you? Because and, and clearly at some point, you know, at some point over the years, they said like, we've got to make this easier. And so some things got sandwiched together and other things didn't. And Warframe just looks like, uh, you know, whatever it, it's, there are, there are a lot of people that I'm sure are playing Warframe that are just like, fuck you. It's not that hard. And I get it. Like there's, you know, they've added the ability to like, Hey, your next active quest is just in the upper right corner of the screen and you can click on it and go there. Which is nice because before that, it's like, what the fuck is any of this do? Like, I'm just going to click on a planet and go here. Do I need shards of some kind to do that? Like, what? Anyway. Got trapped on a railjack. And I had to force quit the game to, um, to get out of it. So, I, I don't know. Um, the other big thing I've been playing every single day. Every single day since we last spoke, if not longer... It is the thing I have probably played the most in terms of session launches on my Steam Deck. That is Ganbare Neo Pokekun for the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Now, I. I Ganbare Neo Pokekun for the Neo Geo Pocket Color is a mini game collection, but the trick is you've got to force the little dude to make the games for you. And so you don't have any direct control over him. You just, he just sits in a room and hangs out and then you can hit directions on the D pad and hit buttons to make things happen to him. You can turn the light on. For example, you can um, make things fall out of the sky and land on his head. You can make people burst into his room and at random, you don't control what the people are. Sometimes it's a dude with really long nose hair and he wants you to, tie it together so that he can use it as a jump rope. Sometimes it's one is in his mouth and one is in his butt and he wants you to tie it together so that he can pull it through in his, in his butt and out his, out his mouth. Uh, and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, it, it's a bunch of goofy, weird interactions like that. And then eventually I guess the theory is if he is happy, he will go to work and construct mini games for you. If he is sad, he will not. And I don't know how I, the, the thing I've realized uh, in the decades that I've owned a copy of this game and have played it and have somehow managed to unlock a lot of the mini games on my physical cartridge, wherever the heck that is. I have no idea what I'm doing. It's one of those games that has completely fallen through the cracks in terms of like there aren't really any good facts out there for it that I have seen. There was one on a Japanese language site that is gone now. And so maybe that's in a Wayback Machine or something like that. But Ganbare Neo Pokekun is a game that has just kind of fallen through the cracks. And 
the the English language fact that's on game facts for it is really focused on like when you unlock the mini games here's how you play them but I can only I only have the first two and they're bad they're terrible it's like one's like a really bad kind of like breakout style game without any blocks and one is like a breakout where you were trying to dodge balls and you need to do it for a minute 30 uh, in order to get the highest rating thing. And the later ones, yeah, the, the later games uh, that you unlock get way more detailed than that. And they, there's a lot more going on. I have, yeah, again, if I could find that cartridge, I probably have over half of them unlocked. But I'm starting from scratch because I wanted to get the retro achievements. And that's been, that's because that's been really fun. So it's a really neat game and you get to do a bunch of really like, you know, it's got that kind of Japanese comedy vibe to it. The same way like Switch for the Sega CD. It's just like that kind of like, here's a random happening that is really ridiculous. Like you hit this button and a dog walks in the room and the dog is wearing a sweater that covers his entire body and then the dog poops and so the sweater just gets bigger and then everyone looks around for a second and then there's static and it goes back to like that, that sequence is over and it's back to the guy just walking around. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's some videos of people online doing it right or whatever. But like I run into the situation where like you are ostensibly supposed to make him happy before he will go to work. But there's no like it's not like push up on the D-pad for happy stuff. Push down on the D-pad for sad stuff. It's like everything is just kind of sad or random in a way where it's like, oh, well, this Ultraman dude ran in the room and posed. And then my guy jumped up and down like he was really thrilled. Is he happy now? I don't know. And if you turn it on at night, he's asleep because it uses the clock and the, the Neo Geo Pocket Color had a clock in it so it knows what time it is and all of that sort of stuff. So that is, that's the thing I'm chipping away at without looking anything up. And I am, I am just about to, uh, you know, I, I am probably going to try to look and see if anyone's got any videos with any more detailed stuff because the, the text, the textual world of the internet is, uh, not not really helping me out here yeah and then it's a it's a big week for re releases a lot of stuff came out today um that i haven't uh, checked out yet i guess stray is out now i uh installed that on a playstation a little bit before the start of the show started that's that cat game that's that cat game i hope that's good i don't know i don't know uh it, it looks it looks real cool uh, the Lego expansion for Forza is out, and I've uh, that that has looked pretty good. I've heard good things there, so I, I'm definitely going to give that a look. Um, and we'll talk about some of that stuff next week. Uh, you know, other than that, I've been been messing around with Teardown on the Steam Deck, which is really funny because like on this PC, because it has all the Steam Workshop support that you know regular ass. Windows ass teardown has and so you can you can do 911s <laughs> uh, on your Steam Deck but the Steam Deck is far less capable of running the voxel simulation uh than than my desktop is and it's uh hilarious it it never crashed on me I'll say that it has not crashed on me but, uh, and, and also it's a little finicky because, you know, it, it's, it's kind of expecting you to have a mouse and keyboard. And so some of the, the stuff in the main game is fine, but it seems like some of the weapons that are in the steam workshop 
are uh, are built around you having a mouse and a keyboard and all this other stuff. So when you do the Call of Duty AC-130 and you use that to blow up buildings down below and cackle maniacally, um, it, it is expecting you to have a mouse. It is expecting you to have buttons for, for some of that stuff. When you install the plane gun that lets you launch planes at buildings, um, it is kind of expecting, you know, again, like some of that stuff is, is expecting you to have a mouse and a keyboard. Um, and so people in the Steam Workshop, mod makers for Teardown, please take the controller into consideration. Please take the Steam Deck players into account. Uh, we want to crash planes into buildings too. Wherever we are, portably. <laughs> so. So please. Won't you, won't you think, won't you think of us? Uh, yeah, I mean, you have to use the trackpads. You have to use all, you know, it's, but again, like some of the, like the C-130, the, the the airplane thing is is straight up like hit these buttons to change uh, between the three different weapons at your disposal. And some of them use keyboard keys and stuff like that. So it's it's a lot of stuff that's like, again, yes, you can do make the Steam Deck do that, but it is not uh, the best at all, of the, at all of that sort of stuff. Um... What else is coming out this year? That's a question I posed to the GAP, the G, the Gerstmann Advisory Panel. Uh, and you can find out more about joining the advisory panel at patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstmann. I posted to Patreon and asked them, hey, what is your most anticipated game right now? Because like, we're in a weird spot, right? Where it's like, hey, we, we it's, you know, the year is progressing and games are getting delayed. A handful of them seem to be locking it down, right? We had God of War be like, Hey, all right. Yep. Yeah. We're going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to actually ship God of War this year. We're going to make it happen. All of that sort of stuff. And so I wanted to kind of scroll through some of these answers to get a, a sense of like what, uh, what y'all are looking forward to here. Um, Marshall says Street Fighter 6. Yep. Yeah, I didn't I did not necessarily limit it to this year. I just said like what's your most anticipated game right there right right now? Street Fighter 6 is definitely high on my list for sure. Um playing it has has ignited a certain type of burning sensation in me that is not being satisfied by DNF Duel or Street Fighter 5 or King of Fighters Neo Wave, which I somehow played some I don't know I don't know how that happened but uh the handful of other fighting games I have been fiddling with lately um yeah I don't know Street Fighter 6 I I want to see more of it I want to see more of the cast all of that sort of stuff that one is is definitely pretty high on my list the other thing I should say is I wanted to limit this to actual announced games and not like theoreticals in terms of like, oh, well, this studio hasn't announced their next game yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, A1's takes us as a fable. Yeah, fable, right? They, what happened? It's, it seems weird that we don't know more about fable, but like that's, think about, think about Xbox game studios for 2022, right? Where, uh, the game, they just released that game today. Uh, is it as, as Dusk Falls? Is that what it's called? As Dusk Settles? That is out today. 
And then the other game, the Oblivion, the Oblivion, the uh, uh, Obsidian game that starts with the letter P. <laughs> Uh, pen Pentiment is out in November. And I'm pretty sure that if we discount DLC add-ons and stuff like that, are those the only two games that uh, Xbox Game Studios are, is actually shipping this year? Obviously, they have a lot of things on the books. Fable... They are apparently going to make a perfect dark game at some point. You know that they will eventually, you know, uh, unannounced wise, but they, they Forza, the 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 Forza remake or whatever is on the books. Um, you know, there's eventually going to be a new Gears of War game. You know, like that's not obviously not announced, but like, hey, guess what? I think they're going to make another Gears of War. Um, and then like that other, uh, grounded is like coming out of early access. Like that's technically, that's technically shipping as well. Right. So th it's just, you know, delays happen. It's been a rough few years for getting video games out the door. Um, and, and all of that sort of stuff, but yeah, they have just not had a lot this year and and you know but at the same time i don't know that it's necessarily a bad time for xbox owners because they've been getting a lot of big games on game pass and all that other stuff so it's like it's just it's a it's a very different feel when you think about you know how the first party uh publishing operations you how you tend to think of them in terms of like oh well they'll get a few exclusives out each year and they'll be big games and they'll have their big tentpole releases and stuff like that like nothing None of the stuff that they have shipping this year feels like that big tentpole release thing. That I don't mean to I don't mean that as a way of to like throw shade at like the as at <laughs> I should look up the name at Pentiment or uh or as Dusk Falls or or grounded or anything, but like there's just kind of a weird it's it's weird. It's weird. Uh, Dima's looking for a Gothic 1 remake. <laughs> Calvin says Scorn. I don't want I don't want to see Scorn ever again. I'm at a point where I'm okay. Like I don't I don't really want to play Scorn. There was nothing about any of the Scorn footage that was like I've got to I've got to see more Scorn. I was like, no, you've got your weird like wall penises and all this other stuff. And it's just like, I just don't, I'm not grossed. I'm not especially grossed out by much of anything. Um, but the, uh, other than that thing that Howie Mandel posted, but you know, it, that sort of stuff, but scorn, I guess is adjacent to that in some ways. Um, yeah, I don't know. scorn just looks gross and I just, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't, there's nothing about it that gets me like, I'm, I'm not excited about it. There's not like a, like that HR Geiger style doesn't, doesn't really do much for me. I just look at it and go like yucky. All right. You made a yucky thing. Cool. Like what's the game part of it? And that part doesn't really, eh, I don't know. Uh, it would have to be a pretty awesome video game to, um, cut through that stuff. I think in, in, in my eyes personally, but I, you know, whatever I get it. Some people are super into that fucking style and yes, you should fucking play Scorn. Uh, it took a while for someone to finally say Starfield. Uh, Lysanda said Starfield. 
says, I'm even building a new PC to get the most best looking pixels possible beamed into my eyeballs. I, sure. Yep. Starfield. Again, after that last reveal, I feel like it really, like it, it fills in a lot of the, the blueprint of what that game probably is, right? You, you start to see a lot more of like, okay, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff there that you could look at and, and you look at the other games that studios made and you go like, yep, okay. In some ways, I, you know, I, I think it, you can take that either way, right? You can take that as like, oh, well, it's disappointing to know what that is and see that it's just the same thing again. But also, you know, if we cut through the bullshit, Bethesda has made some pretty fantastic games over the years, and it has been a long time since they have made one of them. And I happen to think that the last one they made, Fallout 4, was not very good. So if they are going to do a sci-fi game and do some new stuff around the edges while kind of keeping some of that foundation, I look at it and go like, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's more Skyrim and less uh, Fallout 4. Which is a weird thing to say about a sci-fi game because the aesthetic and concepts of Fallout 4 are probably a little more directly applicable. But uh, we'll see. I'm sure it'll end up being fine, right? That's not, you know, like, at least in terms of, like, it might launch rough, right? That's a pretty safe bet. That like, hey, guess what? Bethesda's got a game coming out. Did it ship broken? Yeah, it fucking did. Of course it did. But once they get past that part and patch it up and get it to a point, that game will probably be fine. Will it be the next Skyrim in terms of sales? Well, I um, no, because it's an Xbox exclusive and, you know, like the the comparing sales numbers for Starfield to uh to Bethesda's previous games will be impossible because it, would, it simply just will not be shipping on as many systems. I didn't even like, uh, you know, uh, Skyrim was not really my thing. I got I got really bored with Skyrim about two-thirds of the way through and uh, at least the main story, like obviously like Skyrim, the world, all that stuff. Like I had a, a ton of fun doing all the stuff in it, but when it came time to get back to like the main quest, there was a part of me that was just like, I just don't give a shit about any of this stuff. Like that, that stuff fell a little flat for me personally. Uh, Aaron says Callisto protocol. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, new dead space as well as dead space remake. Why not? Let's get as much dead space as we can get. It's been a while. Uh, it's quote says hollow Knight silk song. Sure. Yeah. A lot of people on that tip. Absolutely. Uh, Orwell saying God of war. And I'm curious about the next assassin's creed. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Luke says wanted dead, which is, I, is that it? All right. There we go. There's a, okay. This is so late. Okay. All right. Okay. Yes. Wanted dead. Yes. I have seen something on this cool yep that's a neat looking game uh disney dreamlight valley says adam dominguez yeah i don't give a fuck if you laugh i grew up an hour and a half from the parks and love stardew valley legit pumped to play this with my wife and kid yep there's a part of me that's just like i'm probably gonna end up showing Disney Dreamlight Valley to my daughter at some point and she's probably going to lose her fucking mind. And and I I am looking forward to that specifically. Um Reeks is skate. Yep. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about skate a little later. Uh 
Arvistella, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. A lot of Starfield. A lot of Starfield. A lot of Callisto Project. Brian says Breath of the Wild 2. It's wild to think the original is over five years old. God, yeah. Yeah, Victoria 2, Jedi Survivor. Um, yep, a lot of Starfield. Bobby says Rumbleverse. That's, that's got a date now. That's, that's like about a month out. That's sometime in August. That uh, August 11th, I think it is. The Rumbleverse will be just straight up available. And that'll be an interesting test. For like... You know, is that game sticky? Because I think in the short, in the short 24 to 48 hour time frames that people have been able to play Rumbleverse, it's been rad. And when it's available 24-7, will people still think it's rad? I, I think maybe. I guess it depends. I wonder how they're, they're well, anyway, they'll do Battle Pass and other stuff. We'll talk about it later. Um, Robert says, World of Warcraft Dragonflight as a morbid curiosity interested in seeing if they could turn things around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Final Fantasy 16. Ryan says, not necessarily the most anticipated, but I'm curious to see what Ragnarok, Gotham Knights, and Call of Duty end up looking like. Not sure there's anything I'm really excited to play, but curious how big things are going to shake out following pandemic development and into the new console generation. I think I'm on that, that, I think I'm on that line of thought too, because of the way the big games keep getting pushed back and they keep shipping in weird forms and all that other stuff. Like I, it, it, not necessarily most anticipated into like, Oh, I can't wait. This game's going to be badass. But like, I'm very curious to see what call of duty ends up being when it ships, you know, um, because of how the last couple have gone and, 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 you know, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to pull it back together. And, and I'm curious to see what that looks like. Gotham Knights, I got to say, doesn't really stick out to me much. I am not a comic book indi uh, individual per se. And so there, there's no like just inherent like, oh shit, it's Batman or, or oh shit, it's not Batman, I guess, as the case may be. Uh, but I, I just, I don't know. I just, every time they show it, I'm like, sure, I guess. I don't know. Sure. Yep. A lot of Starfield. Seen some more Breath of the Wild too. Dan says Bayonetta 3. Yeah, that's uh, around, around this house. There's been a lot of Bayonetta 3 talk for sure. The day before Sons of the Forest, the System Shock remake is what Jesse's looking forward to. That that System Shock remake, that that little bit they showed, looked pretty good. Dave says Saints Row. Yep, I have high hopes for Saints Row. I've heard good things, and that's really coming up pretty soon here. So I yeah, I hope that game is cool, man. Saints Row. I I'm the fucking weird guy that thought that like. Saints Row 1 and 2 were not that interesting, right? Or or I know like there are people that latched on to Saints Row 2 in a weird way. It always seemed really strange to me. I was just like, I don't like like Saints Row 1, they hadn't really found it yet. Saints Row 1 was a lot more rooted in like the Grand Theft Auto stuff that they that they cribbed from. And um you know, they had online. That was the big thing about Saints Row 1 is they had a bunch of online stuff before GTA had gotten any online stuff. And yeah, Saints Row 2 came out. I know that they patched it. I know that, that there was a lot of, especially on PC, there's a lot of crazy stuff with that. Um, but man, I just, Saints Row 2 did nothing for me. Nothing. Uh, I, I just, I've, I found it just really uninteresting 
from a story perspective, like just, I, I don't know. Yeah. It just didn't stick out. And so then when saints Row three came out, I was kind of going into it going like, Oh, right. Saints row, the GTA knockoff, all that other dumb stuff. And, and blah. And then I thought saints row. The third was incredible. I think that's, I think that's the best game of the franchise. I think that they, they made a funny video game. They made a funny video game and that's really hard. And I feel like it, it gets harder as time goes on, especially when you get outside of the adventure genre. Um, like they, they found a way to make it legitimately good and legitimately funny. And it's a fun game and all that other stuff. Like it's really, that game is audacious in a way that saints row four certainly was not. And the previous saints rows were not. And I don't even think Saints Row the Third holds up today because I think like it was very tapped into a very specific time frame and style of comedy that I feel like got old super fucking fast. Uh, like that game probably did not age super well, but uh, but dang, when when Saints Row the Third came out, it uh. It was fucking ridiculous, and and yeah, there are sequences in that game that are still incredible. But like, it, it's yeah, that's a that's that's kind of a rough one over time, for sure. And then Saints Row Four was fine. It was it was like a, a, a good game. It was like a good video game, but like story wise, it just didn't. And you know, they also like around the edges. They spent too much time focusing on Johnny Gat, which is like a terrible character, just like a la- just not. Not funny, not fun, all that other stuff. Like the yeah, that gat out of hell add-on. So like that that series has been so through the ringer in so many different ways since its inception that the idea that they are rebooting Saints Row and all this other stuff, especially you know after all this time, I think stakes are high on that one because I think it'd be real easy to screw that up and make something terrible, but. Uh, I think there's there's a ton of potential there, and I, I hope that they knock it out of the park because I could really go for that style of game right about now. So I'm I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm hopeful for Saints Row. I've not seen much of it personally, but, but like I said, I've I've heard heard pretty good things. Um, let's see. Legend says Final Fantasy Rebirth, Breath of the Wild sequel, Bayonetta three, Diablo four. Yeah, I, I yes. I am also I am also excited for Diablo 4. See people I I'm looking out of the corners of my eyes into the ch- the the Discord chat and the Twitch chat and all the other stuff and I I sure do see a lot of people talking about Agents of Mayhem. And I think if you want to just if you want to lead a good life as Beardo might have said, live a good life. Um don't ever think about agents of mayhem. Do what you can to just like get it out of your just just don't spend any time on agents of mayhem. Just it was not that was a game pre-release playing it was just like mm, I don't know mechanically there's maybe something here but I this doesn't it it presented more questions than answers playing it at E3 that year. And then it came out and it was just like oh god this is you know, dire is not the word, but boy, it just, ugh, whatever. Um, Redfall. 
Rakete says Redfall. All right. Okay. Redfall will probably be mechanically totally okay. There was, there's stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, not to get totally dis disrailed here, but if you want to talk about methods of mayhem, then yeah. I mean, we could talk about methods of mayhem. We could talk about the song Get Naked. We could talk about. Yeah. All right. Let's not. Let's not talk about methods of mayhem. We support methods of mayhem here, here at the podcast. We support Tommy Lee's methods of mayhem endeavors. Uh, oh, yeah, Sea of Stars, right. Forgot about that. Thomas mentioned that one. Soul Hackers 2. Yeah, Z-Blade Chronicles 3, of course, yeah. Uh, Skate Story, Jeff with three Fs. That's a lot of Fs. That's too many Fs. Because right now, this very moment is tied between Shin-Chan, me and the professor on summer vacation, in English, and Skate Story. Yeah. Forspoken. Yeah, else that got, that got pushed back. Again. Again, again, again. Adam says Alan Wake 2. I am very curious to see what Alan Wake 2 is. And I, that is, uh, I would say, a, a bit of a surprise to me as someone who was, just didn't get into Alan Wake 1. Um, but the, you know, the universe, the control stuff, like I, I you know, I, I think that remedy has really gotten really good, uh, since in the years following Alan Wake one, I think that they have, they have shored up a lot of things on the gameplay side of things again and, and gotten really tight there. And, and so I'm hopeful to see what I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what Alan Wake two ends up being uh, as someone who was, was not, you know, not super into uh, that first game. Um, yeah. Old man shiny says live alive. That's out real soon, right? That's, that's out very, that's out very soon. Um, mind player says pentiment. There it is. It's the game. Josh Sawyer has wanted to make for 20 years. And also I hope dragon age will be good. <laughs> that's a really, man, this is a really, this is a really video games sentence right here. I hope Dragon Age will be good, but it's probably not going to be, and it's definitely not going to be as good as Origins, so I'll inevitably de be disappointed. And I feel like you read that and you just go, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to just nod at that and say, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, that's, that all makes sense. Everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. Chris says, Stray, you're in luck. Stray's out. Uh, Steve says Splatoon 3. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've seen a ton of Splatoon 3 on the list so far. Uh, Fame Dog says Return of Monkey Island and Alan Wake 2. Yep. Yeah. Even as a dumb kid, I love the giant cliffhanger in LeChuck's Revenge. It was confusing and amazing all at once. Yeah, totally. I'm seeing a lot of Starfield, which is, it's, it's, it's I think that's the thing to remember, right? There's, the way we talk about games online and the discourse, you know, it is very easy for people to just <laughs> shit on these sequels. Not sequels, sequels isn't the word. Starfield's not a sequel, but you know what I mean? The next game from a studio that is making games in a very, that has made games in a very specific way for a long time. Shane says Doke V. Yep. What is Doke V? Will we ever know? Will we ever know? But I, you know, I think especially when it comes to these big budget games, 
it is very easy to be very cynical about this stuff. And I think that that's something that the the big game, the the triple A game industry, whatever you want to, you know, I think that that a lot of studios have made it very easy to feel that way about their next projects, you know, especially in the case of a Dragon Age where you look at the last Mass Effect, you look at, you know, people's general feelings on EA as a publisher, uh, some of it warranted, some of it not, I'd say. Like, I, I think that the the conversation around EA starts negative, right? Like, it, it they, ha they have dug themselves into a hole. Some of it is not necessarily their fault, but, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, poor EA. You know, they, they have fucked with the trust of the players. They have... EA has pushed the envelope in too many really negative ways on microtransactions to have that trust and so anytime you hear a new ea game get announced it ends up being very easy to look at it and go like well they're gonna fuck this up it's a bummer <laughs> it's, it's a bummer it's like hey they're gonna make a new dragon age they should there's a lot of people working super fucking hard on that game and i bet it's been very hard to to do it against the backdrop of everything that happened with mass effect but also everything with, and that happened with Mass Effect happened, right? Like that, and and now and and now they're gonna, and now they're gonna just reboot Mass Effect like nothing fucking happened. You know, they're gonna go and they're gonna put out, they're gonna go through the entire Mass Effect three thing, which I am still of the mind that they should have held their ground and said, "This is this is what we want this ending to be." Like, stop being crazy. Did you read that story yesterday? There's a story going around yesterday about uh, kind of analyzing the the Zack Snyder um, online fervor for the Snyder cut. Um, and deciding, like, 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 really looking at it and eyeballing it and saying, like, you see, this, this is like, this is a lot of bot stuff, and they're kind of drawing dotted lines and saying, like, you know. With the timing of a lot of this stuff, when a lot of executives started getting thrown under the bus and all this other stuff, like, this sure does look like something Zack Snyder had an actual hand in. And they don't come out and say it. But they draw enough dots that you could look at it and go like, huh. Does that guy just fucking suck? Like, sure seems like he could be. Um, but also, yes, yeah, Warner Brothers leaking the, or, you know, someone leaking the report on bots about the Snyder Cut all these years later to, like, like, that's, that's a weird thing. But it, yeah, the, the article heavily implies that, uh, that Zack Snyder was a part of drumming up that support and all that other horse shit. And so, you know, I don't think, I don't think the bot stuff was as sophisticated now or as, as sophisticated then as it is now when it comes to, like, the Mass Effect 3 ending stuff, but... Um... But yeah, I don't know. Like, the, the Mass Effect 3 stuff, just, just like, you know, even that if that was genuine angry fans, like, at some point, it's like, what do you, you know... Why would you go out there and try to get someone to patch the ending of a game. Anyway, whatever. I, I don't want to relitigate all that fucking horse shit. It just, it was just the whole thing. I think regardless of what side you were on about the quality of Mass Effect 3, um, that whole thing left a very, very bad taste in my mouth.
And also, again, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll fucking say it over and over again until we are all dead. The problems with Mass Effect 3 were much greater than anything having to do with its ending. Mass Effect 3 was like slapdash in a way that the previous games were not. Mass Effect 3 felt like it was a game that absolutely had to tie a bow on years of plot development and did it in the most ramshackle just fucking like here you go here's a three minute cutscene that like and and two words change depending on what you did in mass effect 2 all that other shit that's the problem with mass effect 3 like that's the actual problem with mass effect 3 what happened what ending did you choose in your theory like like by the time i got to the ending of that game i was just like man fuck this none of this matters who cares they have they have treated my fandom for this franchise harshly. They have not taken my choices into account in a, in, a, in a way that felt like it honored the time I had spent with the previous games in their franchise. Mass Effect 3 just sucks. Gameplay-wise, whatever. It's fine. It's probably the best of the series and like all that other stuff in terms of like a playing-ass video game. But god damn. You can't just go and make those games and say like, and your choices are going to matter. We're making a trilogy of these games and get people so invested and then cap it off like that. So, okay. So that happened. Mass Effect 3 happened. Then we get to Mass Effect Andromeda. They're like, oh man, we got it. We're going to dust this thing off. We got to get it back on track. Like, oh, we realized Mass Effect 3 was, was, you know, highly popular and sold really well, blah, blah, blah. But and, and, and the fans are passionate about the Mass Effect universe. We hear you, players. Um, and and then you get Andromeda that is just like, how the fuck, man? Oh my god. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. Some of the stories about how that game happened are out there, right? Um, yeah, no, yeah, this, yes, no. Uh, and all just says the game that destroyed a million N seven hoodies. Mass Effect three was that for me. Like, I bought my N7 shit before Mass Effect 3 came out. I was like, oh, look at these sick fucking hoodies they're making. Oh, look at this awesome fucking track jacket. That is so fucking cool. I'm absolutely going to buy these. It's this is, this is really tasteful video game merchandise for a franchise I care about. That is the perfect combination. Look at this awesome stuff. Oh, fuck. Mass Effect 3 is Mass Effect 3. And now I never want to wear any of this stuff ever again. And then Andromeda is just like, you know, it's Andromeda. And the gun was backwards. And the gun was backwards. You know? And now they're just going to reboot it again like nothing happened. And the sick thing is there's still an abundance of players out there who are like, oh, fuck yeah. They're going to make a new Mass Effect. They're going to bring back Mass Effect again. They're going to try and... They're, they're, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, Mass Effect. And I was like... You, and you realize like what... What the last two of these games have been? Like I get it that like I'm sure that the people working on this game, whatever it is, you know, they... they I, I do keep saying reboot. And I know that that's not... I'm not saying a reboot of the story of Mass Effect 1 per se. I am saying that they are attempting to reboot the Mass Effect universe so that they can push on and keep making more of it. They are trying to right the ship and reboot that franchise. Um, 
and and that people are just like, yeah, hell yeah, new Mass Effect. And there's a part of me that wants to believe. There's a part of me that's just like, yeah, you know. And they put out the the legendary collection or whatever of one, two, and three all over again. And you know, I think that kind of helped kind of wash the the stink off it a little bit. But I don't feel like they have done the work. I, I don't. I don't feel like they have done enough to. Because I, I, I played that. I went in and, and started playing the, the legendary, the, the remakes of Mass Effect that they made and going like, yeah, cool. Oh yeah, these, these look nice. It's too soon. I'm still too angry about, about Mass Effect um, to, to go back and play these games again. So I, I don't know. It's, so anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying I understand why you know there are people that um have a, a very negative opinion of EA and all this other stuff like there, you know, between that, the ultimate team stuff and, and, you know, just the, the various things that that publisher has done and the, you know, look at the reception to battlefield, you know, look at what happened with the most recent battlefield. You know, there's just a lot of, they've got a lot of dirt on their name right now. And so it's amazing to me. And I think it speaks to the, the nature of the franchise and how good it has been. And how they have done a good job of like presenting the product in a very non-EA-like way. It is very impressive to me that people are incredibly excited about Skate. Especially in the wake of it being announced as a free-to-play game. Because I heard, I, I heard like, oh, hey, Skate's going to be free-to-play. And I was like, oh, cool. Awesome. They should do that. They should, they should not make Skate and then try to make a Skate sequel and then try to make that the business model. If they want to remake Skate for a modern generation, this is probably actually the way to do it. And that makes sense to me. And I look at it and go, yeah, yeah. Uh, Free-to-play skating, yeah, no, yeah, sure, of course. We should do that. That's cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's People are very excited about Skate. I mean, a build leaked and people are like, still like, yes, fuck yes. Um... You know, let's take one more quick break and we'll get back to the rest of this list. Um, there's some some interesting games on here that I had forgotten about uh, that I that I want to talk about a little bit from the from the Gerstmann advisory panel. So let's take one more one more break here and we'll be back in a moment. You know, we've all been on a lot more video conferences these days. Whatever you're using, Zoom. Discord, Jitsi, you know, all these different platforms uh, are all susceptible to the same problem. You ever been on one of these where it's like the audio starts cutting out and no one can hear or see each other because the internet is, is completely ass? Well, then you, my friend, you have experienced a streamergency. That's right. A streamer, a, str- <clears throat> a, str- a streamer, a streaming, a streaming emergency. It doesn't have to be this way, you know, you end up at these coffee shops or something. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to go down here and, and, and hop on their Wi-Fi to take this call or, or like, hey, I'm at a hotel and I got to use their stuff. And, and it's terrible, right? Ugh. What if you could use more than one Internet connection at the same time? Like you could use that hotel Wi-Fi and the data connection on your phone for their combined speed and reliability bonded together in strength and stamina speedify 
is the only app that can combine multiple internet sources into one bonded super connection to improve, you know, your live streaming and video calling, web browsing, all the sorts of stuff that you are looking to do online. It's available for all your devices. So you can bond together connections from a PC, Mac, you know, you got an iPhone, you got an Android, even a Linux machine. Speedify can come together to make it happen to combine any number of or type of internet connections. Just runs in the background. It's simple to use. Hey, it's also like a VPN, you know? So it's like you get all that stuff. Plus you're like, where am I? You don't know, man. You don't know, baby. That's right. I'm a ghost. What are you waiting for? Get Speedify and say goodbye to Stremergencies for good. Try Speedify risk-free for seven days and you can get 20% off your order with the promo code Jeff. Simply visit Speedify.com slash Jeff. That's S-P-E-E-D-I-F-Y dot com slash Jeff. Okay. Crack this open. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so glad that we're past the, you know, don't have to drink any of this Zoa. Though I am, I, I, I'm trying to only drink one energy drink a day, but my wife started buying some and she never drinks, she never finishes hers. So I ended up drinking about two thirds of this peach monster. It's not bad. She didn't like it. I was kind of into it. And now, now I'm back home. Now I'm back home with this Rockstar Fruit Punch. This is, hmm. yeah, <clears throat> that's. That's just nice. That's just nice. Um, Scratch says Project L, which is the League of Legends fighting game that the cannons are involved in. And yes, that's something I um, am definitely interested in seeing more of. I don't really intersect with anything that Riot is doing um, right now. But that is the one thing that I would, would want to take a look at for sure is, is Project L. Um, and we'll see if it ever comes out like that. I guess that's the other thing with a, uh, a riot game is you just never know. This is a while ago, but I, uh, you know, we, we took a meeting with someone from riot back at the old thing, uh, years ago. And they talked all about how they were building their own internet that they were basically just like, yep, we got to run our own pipes around the nation because it needs to be faster so that people can play league of legends. Like we're just, you know, we're, we're building our own fiber network. We're, or, or rather they're, you know, licensing you know, existing fiber, you know, whatever. But it was like, yeah, they, they did that. They built their own thing. I th I'm pretty sure it's up and running. I don't know. I don't know how much of the country it covers, but like that, they just said, fuck it. Latency needs to be better. And so this is League of Legends and we've got the money to make this happen. So we're going to build our own thing. It's such a crazy concept. I, I, I need to look in on that and see like what the status of that is or, if, or how well it's working or, or anything. Yeah, if they're just like, are they just going to ISPs and saying, sell us your extra bandwidth and just like, you know, set us to, you know, whatever zero tier, you know, whatever whatever status we need on our packets to shove them through faster or, or whatever, you know, uh, whatever it ended up being. But, uh, but yeah, a, a weird, a weird notion. <clears throat> BR says, as I get older, I feel like I don't anticipate 
in quotes, the bigger or AAA games as much, and the things I do are smaller indie fare, and those get weird because usually they've been out in early access for two years before they're finally done, and I'm not a fan of participating in early access stuff. You know, will, will Starfield be amazing? The next Dragon Age, the next God of War? I have no idea, but I can say I'll almost certainly be picking them up eventually. So here's some curveballs. Everspace 2, sure. Baron Breakfast. Yeah, Baron Breakfast looked cool. Then they, they pushed that back, right? Then, yeah. Um, Potion Craft and Industries of Titan. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, I mean, you know, just overall without tallying it up and making this a proper poll, which I, I will eventually do in the future here. Um, there's a whole lot of Starfield on this list. There's a whole lot of Starfield. And quite a bit of Breath of the Wild 2. And a little bit more Callisto Protocol than I would have thought to see. But yeah, there's quite a bit of that as well. And some indie stuff here and there. And yeah, no, that's uh, been, and, you know, a handful of God of War. Like, actually, quite a bit of God of War. And one, a single mention from Digital Security of Overwatch 2. Overwatch 2, I really like Overwatch and I'm excited to see some change up. Sure. Yeah. That's a good wide variety. It's, it's nice. Like, I, I think that speaks well of kind of where we're at. Um, where the, where the industry is at these days, right? Where like we can ask a question like that and like, it's a, you see a couple of things standing out and they're the things you would expect. Like here's this massive big budget thing that's meant to be wide appeal and all this other stuff. And, and then you see some of the things that are, you know, kind of at or near that tier, your Callisto protocols, breath of the wild Two, all that sort of stuff. But then there's just a lot of different indie stuff or, or, you know, like, you know, fable only got one mention on that list. And I think that's probably because, we just don't know much about it, right? Um, was it, uh, Anna McGill just became the narrative lead on that, I think, that she announced on Twitter, if I'm remembering that correctly. So it's like still in motion and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, if you want to join the advisory panel, if you want to be a member of the Gap, if you want to be jump right into the Gerstmann advisory panel, head on over to patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstmann. Uh, you can also get an ad-free version of this very podcast. If you so desire and you can hop on the discord and we've been, I don't know. We've been talking about the, the future and the past of video game content on the web. And, uh, you know, there's there, the wrestling channel is always hot. The wrestling there's, there's a whole lot of, there's constant wrestling talk on there, but it's, don't worry. It's cordoned off into its own filthy zone. We should probably start an anime channel, I guess really, corner of the market on sickos uh <laughs> anyway why don't we get into the news i do have some music for that unity holy shit <laughs> oh my god unity the engine unity the engine known as unity uh has been in the lately a little bit for a variety of reasons this was okay this was the this was the news story that forced me to give up on using simple note for keeping my podcast notes as i have been doing for years uh this was the thing that finally got me to switch over to notion so that i could have something resembling markdown because in order to better keep track of this fucking this fucking story. All right. 
So, the, okay, the, the, what happened with Unity? Uh, Unity is merging with a company called Iron Source. And that's an ad tech and monetization platform uh, that gives developers stats and numbers around how their decisions are impacting the money. You know what I mean? So, uh, that's something that is largely billed as something for mobile developers that are already in the free-to-play space and all this other stuff. Because on, on that free-to-play side, I don't, know, I don't know if you know this, they care about the data on that end. <laughs> uh, they, they make slight changes and they want to have as much data as possible about how they make it, all this other stuff. So building an ad tech and monetization platform directly into the engine probably makes a fair amount of sense for that specific end of the market. Merging with Iron Source specifically, and also doing it after, according to Kotaku, Unity laid off hundreds of staffers in late June. Uh, and they also acquired Parsec, the streaming platform, and also acquired Weta Digital? Okay. And then on top of that, a couple of weeks before the layoffs, the head of the company, John Riccatello, got in front of the company. That's John Riccatello, formerly of EA. You may remember him as uh, being the, the target of some ire during his days at Electronic Arts, let's say. Um, he got in front of the company and uh, reportedly said that the company was not in any financial trouble and wouldn't be laying anyone off. And then two weeks later, they laid off like 400 people. Um, he had, he had something to say about that in this interview. We will get to his response to that, that if it is true is maybe not quite as bad as that, but Iron Source is perhaps best known for a little something called Install Core. And this is something that has been marked as a fucking literal virus, as actual malware uh, by Windows Defender and a lot of other similar antivirus protection apps. Install Core is a product designed to get you to install more stuff while you're installing stuff so you can install more stuff on top of the stuff you're already installing. That's my word, player. All right, so basically it's like when you're installing some software, it goes like, hey, man, do you want to install three other things while you're doing this? And you're like, absolutely not. No, I do not. Uh, as such, install core is something that's been marked as malware for years. And so Unity, you know, and again, there's more to the story than that. We will get into that. But Unity is merging with a company that is best known for f making a bunch of fucking bullshit installers that like, you know, this is how you end up with Bonzi buddy. Do you want Bonzi buddy? This is how you end up with fucking Bonzi buddy. This is how you end up with a pup. Yes. Potentially unwanted program, not necessarily full on malware stealing your shit. Um, but it is flagged by a lot of antivirus software. Uh, and it's been marked that way for years. Um, that's the company that they're merging with. After all the layoffs, after like, like the, the hits keep on coming as they say. Um, okay. So in response to the malware part of this unity gave a quote to GamesIndustry.biz, And here it is. We are seeing developers talking negatively about iron sources involvement in malware campaigns or being behind malware spreading, referencing old articles about a historical desktop activity that was deprecated and spun off several years ago. The company said. Like any large-scale desktop advertising platform, despite monitoring and enforcement, 
the desktop platform occasionally suffered from bad actors who tried to abuse the platform. IronSource has long focused on developing products for mobile game and app developers and doesn't operate any desktop software distribution platforms today. So, hey, they don't, they don't, yeah, they, that was just bad actors that were taking advantage of their innocent platform, and they don't even run that innocent platform anymore. It's, it's a totally, it's a different brand. It's a different quality of product. It's different. Right? Yes, Hoopst Among Us has not accidentally distributed some malware. Okay, so there's that. John Riccatello and Mark Witten gave an interview to pocketgamer.biz, uh, which, as you might infer, is a website about mobile games, which is, again, this acquisition, like, Unity seems very focused with this acquisition on mobile developers, and on its face, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, those developers are already in this weird rat hole of wanting all this data and and trying to monetize as hard as possible so that motherfuckers will wail out big and buy a bunch of hats. And like, that's that market in a lot of cases. There are a lot of games out there, and I'm sure a lot of developers of those types of games that are like, oh, yeah, all right, yeah, no, integrate that stuff. That sounds very useful for the nefarious types of video games that we are out here making. And like, hey, that it is what it is, right? I, you know, I don't. I think Unity has taken enough shots lately to its um, credibility, or or its credibility amongst like indie developers and smaller developers that are making desktop apps and and games and like Unity. A lot of people use Unity, and but maybe maybe not enough because they're out there trying to make these changes to try to appeal to this other crowd a bit more than than that kind of indie side of things that has traditionally embraced Unity over the years. Um, so on that topic, pocket gamer asks or, or says, I guess it's not much of a question. Implementing monetization earlier in the process and conversation is certainly an angle that has seen pushback from some developers. And in response, Riccatello says, and and again, I'm going to read this whole thing because Riccatello kind of came out and said, oh, this is clickbait and it's taken out of context. So here's his full response to that question. As issued by Pocket Gamer. Again, I don't know if they edited this, you know, just to to be totally upfront about it. I don't think that they did, but, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know. Ferrari and some of the other high-end car manufacturers still use clay and carving knives. It's a very small portion of the gaming industry that works that way. And some of these people are my favorite people in the world to fight with. They're the most beautiful and pure, brilliant people. They're also some of the biggest fucking idiots. He says more, but we'll pause there for a sec. Now, I think when you take this in context, when he says it's his favorite people in the world to fight with, it's because he's the business side and they are the art side and they must always clash, right? Because that's how it works. You've got someone out there saying like, no, we don't want to put microtransactions in our, no, we don't want to sell an online pass uh, that only goes with the used copies of our games. And then the businessman says, yeah, but you're gonna, you're gonna put loot crates into mass. I mean, you're gonna put a, you're gonna put blind boxes into mass effect. All right. You're just going to do that. Cause that's where the business is right now. You fucking idiot. But it, it, he's, 
if I may infer a little bit, not to give him any more cover than he deserves, which is not much, um, I take this to mean that he thinks that they are naive. That they are naive to the way the, the cold, hard business works, and they just want to make their art and whatever, and I've got to sit over here and try and turn that art into dollars, baby. And so... If you were a more charitable read of this, I think you would be like, yeah. I mean, he he literally says they are some of the biggest fucking idiots. But what I think he actually means there is they are not savvy to the business like he is. All right. He goes on. I've been in the gaming industry longer than most anybody, getting to the gray hair and all that. It used to be the case that developers would throw their game over the wall to the publicist and sales force with literally no interaction beforehand. That model is baked into the philosophy of a lot of art forms and medium, and it's one I am deeply respectful of. I know their dedication and care. But this industry divides people between those who still hold to that philosophy and those who massively embrace how to figure out what makes a successful product. And I don't know a successful artist anywhere that doesn't care about what their player thinks. This is where this cycle of feedback comes back and they can choose to ignore it, but to choose to not know it at all is not a great call. And so I I think that's the, you you see that sort of defense from people of his ilk all the time where it's just like, hey man, it's just data. It's up to you to choose how to use it. It's just data. But you'll find, um, in my experience, that once you've asked for the data and received the data, the people that generated the data tend to start also trying to get their hand on the wheel a little bit to say like, hey, by the way, the data says this. You should do this. You should do this. And you're like, you're ruining the thing. You're ruining the thing we made. We built this thing. Granted, yes, it, you own it now, but Jesus Christ, man. Um that's kind of the danger there um, with uh, with some of those things. And uh, so I, I think that, you know, there he gets into compulsion loops and a lot of other stuff that like you just look at and go, Jesus, man, like this is like, of course, this is what it is. Like, I think, you know, the, the, none of I'm not reading this and seeing anything new per se. Right. You look at it and you're like, yeah, no, there, yes, the biz- there are a lot of business people and they aren't all like this. It would make a lot of sense that Riccatello is like this. Um, but this is, this is a very standoffish sort of way to present this sort of conflict, right? Like, of course, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people working on games, especially big budget games, they want to make money. They want to earn a living. They want to feed their family. And the, you extrapolate from that, you get to like, to do that, this game has to be successful and they want to make a successful product that people like, but how they get there and the data points they use to get there, whether it is them going with their gut or going like, well, the numbers say this, the focus test said this, um, that's where the rub is, is like, how do, where do you find that kind of middle territory? And you know, again, none of this is new. Uh, I think that the way he comes out and says it and the way that he is saying it, especially in the context of him running Unity and like, again, Unity, Unity being 
at times unity seeming like a very indie friendly type of engine and a lot of people choosing to use it because it seems very friendly to their independent needs and desires and all that sort of stuff like this if anything is just going to have people uh you know this this is the sort of stuff that sends those people running screaming for what like godot or mono or you know whatever other engines they can get their hands on and maybe Unity is in a position where they have to do this, right? Maybe Unreal Engine came in and ate up a lot of the developers that they were pitching to before or made the terms less favorable in such a way that they're like, well, what's the corner of the market we can nail? It's mobile. Let's merge with this company. Not buy this company. Merge with this company that does all these mobile analytics and stuff specifically to chase after a bigger piece of that market because we think that's going to make us more money than like someone wanting to make like their PS one styled remake of a Tony Hawk game, you know, like, like, like the, those types of indie devs that have traditionally used unity in a, in a lot of ways. And, and unity gets a bad rap a lot of the time. I know that people are like, Oh, you see a lot of dumb people. And I have, I have fallen into this trap before I have been this dumb person where you look at the unity logo and you're like, Oh, it's going to fuck up this way. Like I, you know, there's been specific times, uh, periods of time where unity has been broken in some specific ways where like um you couldn't use an Xbox 1 controller on Windows with a unity game because like the you would push up and it would move right like when Firewatch came out I could not use an Xbox 1 controller with it <laughs> uh because it was totally broken you know because people were still in that transition of Xbox 360 to Xbox 1 and all the other stuff there was something there that I ran into in, in Firewatch that was the big one there were other games around the edges there that, that had the same, the same problems. Um, so you, you already have like the people out there, like fans that are, that will shit talk unity because they, they don't understand that it's not necessarily the engine it's the people using it in a lot of cases. Um, and so they're already kind of fighting uphill against Unreal and all that other stuff. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know. So, so you look at this and go like, oh, well, maybe they're just trying to carve this out uh, for mobile because that's, a, that's an area they think they can excel in. And maybe the other stuff doesn't make them that much money. And they're like, hey, man, it's cool that people use Unity to do all these other games and all this indie stuff. But, like, at the end of the day, like, for us to survive and, and thrive, like, we need to make more money. We need to find more money. You know, people don't want to go out of business. People don't, you know, I get it. But, like... Uh, this this feels like you are throwing away a lot of the indie spirit that got Unity to where they are today with not only this move, like the move is the move, right? Whatever. But the 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 this defense of the move is uh, a bad one. It's a bad one. It's a, it's a bad way to present your company. It's a bad way to represent your company. It's a bad way to to do this. So in the wake of this interview, John Riccatello had two things to say about it separately on Twitter. Twitter apology number one is a bad one. He says, clickbait, out of full context, deeply sorry if what I said offended any game dev, absolutely love the people that make games, creative hard work, hashtag unity. Fuck, dude, really? Like, that's that's what you came up with? Um, and again, like it's, you can, you can take the like fucking idiots thing. And of course that was the part that traveled, right? That's the part that became the headline everywhere. Like IGN linking to this article, all this, stuff. even pocket gamer used it in their headline. 
Um, because it's the most salacious piece. It's the piece you look at and go like, shit, I, I want to see what this fucking guy has to say. Um, and, but he's a, he fucking said it B all the other stuff in this interview about compulsion loops, about all the other stuff going on is just as bad, if not worse than that specific line. So like people can lash onto that line all day long, but his full defense of where they're headed is the part that you look at and go like, Phew, all right, man, that's, that, this is the hole you're digging. Like fucking go for it, I guess. So to, to call it clickbait is such a knee jerk fucking thing is such a, like a fucking, like you're in a, in a, in a world where you have these fucking dipshits out there that are just like, it's fake news. Rah! Um, that are trying to set upon the media and, and try to, to paint them as uh, not trustworthy and all this other stuff. It's like, dude, you fucking said that shit and everything around it also came out of your mouth. That's the part that like, no, like all this is right in line. Like, yeah. Anyway. So that was the first thing he had to say. And then not too long after that, there was the straight up screenshot of text apology. Uh, it says to our friends in the unity community, there are two, sorry, to our friends in the hashtag unity community. I owe you this. And this is a much longer one. I want to talk about what I said in the interview and my follow-up tweet. I'm going to start with an apology. My word choice was crude. I am sorry. I am listening and I will do better. What I can do perhaps is provide more on what I was thinking when I did the interview, what I would have said if I had taken greater care. First, I have great respect for game developers. The work they do is amazing. The creativity can be incredible, whether on a AAA console, mobile, or indie game designed to be played by millions. Or a creative project, a game, just made, a game made just for the sheer joy of it. Second, one thing I have seen is that most game devs work incredibly hard and want people to play their game, to enjoy it, and when appropriate for players to engage deeply. For the game devs I have worked most closely with, there is often anxiety about whether players will love the game and appreciate all the work and love that went into making it. Third, sometimes all a game developer wants is to have a handful of friends enjoy the game. Art for art's sake and art for friends. Other, others want player dollars to buy the game or game items so that they can make a living. Both of these motivations are noble. Fourth, what I was trying to say and clearly failed at saying is that there are better ways for game developers to get an early read on what players think of their game to learn from their feedback, and if the developer wants to adjust the game based on this feedback. It's a choice to listen and act, or just to listen. Again, both are very valid choices. If I had been smarter in choosing my words, I would have said just this. We are working to provide developers with tools so that they can better understand what their players think, and it is up to them to act or not based on this feedback. Anyway, that's it. Lots of words, and a sentence that I wish I had never said. Anyway, that's it. Lots of words. Uh, but, you know, again, like that's, I, I, I think even before he wrote that, like, I think reading between the lines at what he was saying there, that, that, that seemed what he was at least tr trying to get out. Uh, he just got it out in the worst way possible, but also, Again, I, I think that the way that they're pursuing this stuff in general just feels gross. I don't know. I, I, I guess like the impression I get, and I have not gone out there and polled a bunch of developers, but I feel like the sentiment I have seen around this is that this is not something that they're like, oh, 
Thank God. Well, I still love unity. I think instead I've seen more of a shit. I'm building my game in unity right now. Fuck. Or, huh, what's it going to take to learn uh, Godot or, or, you know, which, which is a totally open source game engine uh, that has been used on consoles for some ports and some other stuff like that. Like a lot of people going like, okay, where else can I go? What else, what other engine can I learn? Um, I don't see a lot of people saying I'm going to Unreal because you know Unreal is obviously another big company and all the other stuff. So, um, the last bit here is a little bit of pushback on the layoff story. Um, where uh. Pocket Gamer says, uh, M&A often precedes staffing changes, and I understand Unity recently announced layoffs of roughly 4% of its global staff. And uh, Riccatello's response there is, just for clarity's sake, we didn't announce anything. <laughs> that was a leak to Kotaku, and while we said we were eliminating 4% of our positions, over half of them got rehired within other parts of Unity, so as far as quote-unquote layoff stories go, we're not much of one. Oh, well, all right then. I don't think that that solves that the way that, that maybe he thought it would. Um, again, because if you take that into account with the story of um, a couple weeks before this happening, saying like, no, we're not in trouble, we're not going to lay anyone off. Like, oh, you're, oh, well, you only laid off, what, 2% instead of 4? Okay, I mean, that's still, that is still layoffs. That is still layoffs. I, you know, I don't know. It, it's, again, the business is what it is, and, and, and it's going to grow and shrink. And, and But it, layoffs right now seem a little weird. I don't know. I guess, like, it, we're, we're going to see some interesting times ahead uh, because a lot of earnings results are going to get announced, and a lot of year-over-year -year numbers are going to start to look pretty bad. I think in, in, in some parts of the gaming industry, because, uh, you're going to have that kind of pandemic lift that gaming got, and it's not going to go away completely. I think video games are still going to be in fine shape. I think, uh, there's other parts of this interview where I think Riccatello kind of gets into like, um, what gaming has done through recessions and, and through up and down times in the past and all the other stuff and, and saying like, yeah, you know, gaming has grown through recessions before gaming has grown through the pandemic but also as people start to return to work as things start to normalize whatever normalize means um some of those numbers are going to go down people will buy somewhat fewer games people will spend somewhat fewer hours on live service games because they've gone back to work and they are not working from home and all of that sort of stuff and so you may see a lot of, you, whatever, there's, there, there's plenty to go around. I was going to say, you, you may see a lot of hand-wringing in the game industry for a while here, but uh, it's weird because it seems like everyone's numbers are up, and I, they, they probably will go back down, but they will not, probably will not go back down to what they were at before the pandemic. They'll probably maintain some of that. Anyway, I'm just speculating, uh, but traditionally gaming has been pretty resilient uh, through whatever economic times uh, we, we've seen. I, I think at the end of the day, when you think about video games as a value proposition, it is still a really good one 
especially in cases where you've got a free to play, you know, you could, you could play a destiny Two, a Warframe, or whatever on a lot of different devices for not much money. They are free to play games. You could play those games for hundreds of hours and put in some money if you want or not and all that sort of stuff. And, um, I don't think that that's going to, to change. Uh, so there's just the, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of stuff you can do out there with video games for not a lot of money. And so that kind of, even in a world where you are paying $60, even, even $70 in some cases, for a video game, the, the hour per dollar, generally speaking, feels like it's better than going to the movies. Feels like it's better than your cable bill. All that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it seems, it sure seems like we are headed for a recession here in the States, if not worldwide. Um, but gaming has, I think it, traditionally weathered those storms pretty well uh, because it, it can it can be pretty cheap entertainment for people. How that shapes the big game, the AAA market, the $70 market, the $60 market, all that sort of stuff remains to be seen. Um, but, you know, there's so much free-to-play now. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of quality free-to-play now as well. That wasn't always the case. You know, we had, we had guns, the duel, that was the first quality free to play game that changed it all. Let's get it. Let's get into gunsy, the duel. Can we do that? Can we still play guns, the duel? Speaking of Warframe, they did it. Those bastards, they did it. There's a new game coming from digital extremes. The makers of Warframe. And it is called Soul Frame. Uh, Washington Post has an article about this. There's a trailer that put out again. They had Tenocon. Um, and, and as a part of that, they announced their next game. They have uh, had a leadership transition with Warframe. And some of the kind of uh, old timers of, of Digital Extremes have, are off working on this project. Steve Sinclair, who's the director of Warframe as a small team working on soul frame, which is a game of the fantasy genre. Uh, meanwhile, Rebecca Ford will take over as creative director of Warframe. Uh, there's little bits and tidbits in this Washington post article. Um, to kind of give you some details about what they're thinking and, and how they're thinking. And the number one takeaway, I think that is important to note from this is to not take their use of the word soul to infer that they are trying to make a souls like video game. It is a game with a melee type focus as opposed to Warframe's shooting. Um, and they're hoping to take a lot of the scope and learnings from modern Warframe. Remember, Warframe... You could do a lot more in Warframe than you could you know, 30 years ago when Warframe launched. Um, in terms of open spaces and open worlds and all the other stuff they're looking to add, to, you know, that they have added to that game or are about to add to that game all that sort of stuff. So, you know, they're looking for soul frame to kind of pick up, I think in that department, 
and not necessarily like, you know, day one soul frame is probably not going to look like day one Warframe, right? So, uh, so yeah, they're hoping to have something playable to let kind of their community play within a year. And they refer to it as the mirror universe version of Warframe. Uh, and to get specific, uh, Steve Sinclair told Washington Post, where Warframe is focused on shooting, this one's focused on melee. Where Warframe is super fast and crazy high speed, this one's going to have a lot more slow and heavy. But it still has a lot of similarities to the genre that we have experience in. And so that seems a lot like, hey, you know, a lot of the learnings, a lot of the trappings, a lot of the things around Warframe and how it is focused and how it is uh, built that's all stuff that you can reuse. That's all stuff that, that is time-tested. Um, but you can make missions and gameplay that is, um, you know, that is dramatically different. They have a trailer out there that was, was all right. It doesn't, you know, you, you see little bits and pieces of, like, what what they might be going for in terms of how the universe works and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And you see a tiniest bit of combat in that trailer. You go, like, yeah, that's very slow and very chunky. As opposed to flipping out cyber ninjas, flipping out doing cyber ninja shit. Um, but yeah, I, I did not. I did not see the dark sector glaive in it, unfortunately. Um, so good on them. You know, that's that's it, it's we we poke fun at Warframe, and I do think honestly that there's a real problem with live service games. And being a lapsed player, you have a lot of games that will rework their new player experience. Destiny's done it. Warframe, I think, has done it. Um, in terms of like, oh, on the onboarding side, getting new players in the door, we need to fix that because the game has changed. So we need to reflect what the game is today in the early parts of the game. Yes, World of Warcraft has done all that stuff. Of course, they've rebuilt that stuff multiple times. But for the... For a player like me who is in the middle of some quest where I need to get some Grenier codes, I have no idea what the story is, but more importantly, the mechanics of the game, in, or the, the loop, the, the compulsion loop, the, the part of the game where I go like, okay, I own all these suits, and a lot of them are level one, and... I guess I should just start leveling up my shit, right? I'd need to level up my guns so that I can equip more mods on them so that I can do this. And, you know, all of, all of those sorts of things, like the, the how and why, uh, are, are, I feel like those are bits that get lost. And I, this is a drum I have banged on and off again in relation to stuff like Warframe or even Destiny 2, which is not as old as Warframe, but, you know, certainly has run into some similar stuff over the years. And, you know, the, in, in response to that, they've built a quest log and, and they've tried to make that stuff a little bit easier, but I sometimes, and it depends on the content, right? When you come back and there's a new thing and it launches you into a new thing and you're like, wait, what, what am I even doing? I have no idea. And I'm so lost. I mean, I know how to shoot like whatever I'll run towards the diamond and shoot everything in my way. It'll be fine. But like, what am I really up to here? I think that's the, they're just, and I don't know what the answer is, but also I, I, I think the thing I wonder is, is it worth it for them to pursue those players? Are there enough players in my specific boat of like, Hey, I played a lot of it and I would certainly play more Warframe 
if I felt like it could get its hooks in me. And it's just not because when I launch it, there's still so much. There's still so much of just like even just the kiosks on your ship that you go to. And like some of them still don't do anything. And I'm like, does that if I play for 20 hours, will this thing do a thing or no? Like maybe there just aren't enough players like me that are in that situation for it to be worthwhile for them to develop some kind of ramp for returning players. You know what I mean? Like maybe I don't matter, you know, and, and I don't mean that in a, you know, like whatever. Maybe, maybe players like me, those lapsed players, maybe there's just not enough of us and we don't matter enough for them to devote dev resources to it over something like completely redoing the new player experience or, you know, making crazy new things for the existing player base that they have. Like, like the people at, at opposite ends of that. Right. But there have to be like, you know, churn on a free to play game is crazy. Right. The, there has to be, there are probably millions of players who have played Warframe and do not play Warframe anymore. Right. Like what does a win back campaign for, lapsed Warframe players look like and how do you get them back in and all that other stuff like I, I don't or is that even worth it I guess is that even worth it I don't maybe not maybe not that is something I, I found myself thinking about again uh, because every time I redownload Warframe I invariably start thinking about that again and think like man I, you know it seems like there should be a better way there's got to be a better way maybe if we acquire an ad firm uh, an, an ad tech platform they'll tell us how to do it um nintendo has purchased a an animation studio according to polygon they have purchased dynamo pictures which is based in tokyo and they do animation as well as mocap uh that deal is looking to close in october and they will rename it to nintendo pictures when that happens uh this studio did some work on Death Stranding as well as that uh, as that near replicant uh, remake. They also worked on Yuri on Ice, so a variety of of things here. Uh, the quote from Polygon is uh, says here: According to Nintendo's filing, the acquisition of this new studio is intended to strengthen the planning and production structure of visual content in the Nintendo Group and focus on developing visual content utilizing Nintendo IP. So as that as Princess Peach uh, source filmmaker stuff, right? I mean that's that's where the money's made, right? No. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm big on visual content. This this sounds like this could be anime. This sounds like it could be CG. Uh, you know, this sounds like it could be cutscenes for actual video games. This sounds like it could help them with mocap. Not that. I'm trying to think, are there, is there any first party Nintendo stuff that you can think of that feels like it benefits from mocap or, you know, is, at the end of the day, is this just them getting into the movie business in a more direct way? Nintendo pictures has a pretty direct connotation there. Um, and so is this them saying like, Hey, you know, this Mario movie thing is cool, but we're, we we do not want to work, have to work with people. We don't want to have to work with another studio. We want to just do this ourselves. Is this them saying that they want to be in the movie business directly? Probably. 
that's probably the direction that that goes in. I think that's that's how it's framed up anyway. Um, but they have worked on games that you can. I do not translate all the pages myself, but um, there's a Persona Five logo in there too. So presumably they did some work on that too. Maybe they hate Chris Pratt's Mario voice, <clears throat> and they're like, "God damn it, we've got to get away from this Hollywood shit and just control it ourselves." Um, like we said earlier, Skate is a free-to-play game. That's right. Uh, they're they're going to make that. They're going to call it Skate and not Skate Four. That's the right move, especially for a, a game that they are viewing as Skate as a service. Um. They are looking to do microtransactions, unsurprisingly, and they say that the that stuff is largely cosmetic and that they are using Apex Legends as inspiration for a kind of how to how to think about that sort of stuff. They are also looking to, it looks like they're gonna be out of the gate with cross play and cross progression across PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. They ran a video where they they, they had a a presentation where they showed some more of this and they did mention mobile in there. So I assume that there's a mobile version of this coming as well that will tie into all of this, or maybe it'll end up being like apex where the mobile version is separate. But I, but I think the implication is that they are potentially making a mobile version of this. Um, that all sounds good to me. I think what I, the thing that I ran and, and hmm, I will grant you that there are still people playing skate three today and making crazy videos. And that's awesome. Um, but I think that this franchise and their kind of take on it in terms of it being this larger kind of multiplayer focused world and, and being about bringing that community together to shoot crazy skate videos and do all this sort of stuff. I think, benefits more by being free to play by being more accessible to players and 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 also by being something that is supported in a service like manner where they are updating it that is probably my biggest problem with skate 3 is the story mode the story objectives the the kind of main crux of playing skate 3 you you blast through that thing. It is not difficult. If even if you want to kill every single goal, you know it, it does not add that much time to it. If you if you kind of know what you're doing, and I, I was never the world's greatest skate player or anything, but it was like it was very like the structured goals in that game was not they were not difficult. So building a world that you can update, building a world that you can add on to, building a world where you can go like, oh, okay, we want to have user-created skate parks. We want to be able to do uh, more user-created park sharing and, and have that exist in the world. We want to be able to add on to the world with additional parts, like whatever they end up doing along the way in terms of just like, we want more ground for you to skate on. A free-to-play game lets them service that more directly. And lets them update it more directly. Going to if it's a season-based model or whatever, where it's like, hey, in season two, we've this. You see this roll-up door over here that's been closed for the last six months? Well, fuck you, it's open now. And on the other side of it is a, a big skate park and a whole nother city, or you know, like whatever. So, like things that kind of push it in that direction to kind of say, like, hey, rather than sell you a sequel every few years, 
and have it be these closed off siloed experiences. We want to create a world. We want to have all of the same players in that world and be able to expand upon that world. To me, that, that sounds very enticing. And to me, that sounds like it justifies the notion of like, Hey, we're going to do some cosmetics. Of course, you know, like you can do fashion and cosmetics in a skateboarding game. Like it's not, you know, that ain't rocket science. You look at that and you're like, yeah, yeah, of course. Of course you're going to do. Yeah, sure. Absolutely fucking do that. Um, and so this is a, 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 one of those rare cases where I feel like them announcing that they are doing a free to play game left me more excited for the product because it was like, okay, this isn't just going to be something I'm going to play for eight hours and then go back to occasionally to try to do some silly goals or play some multiplayer or whatever. And then eventually fall off of this is something that you are going to dedicate a team to and keep updating it and supporting it in a way that, you know, ends up and ends up benefiting the long-term player base of that game in, in, in meaningful ways. Last 3D asks, is this the potentially the end game for all sports games? Maybe. I don't know. Um, the I feel like that's that's the thing, right? Is is as soon as it makes more sense from a money perspective to make Madden a free-to-play thing or a service game that you are updating and selling selling seasons worth of content, um, as as opposed to selling the game itself. I think they'll do it. But right now, you know, hey, if they can sell those things for $60 up front and then still sell a buttload of microtransactions the way FIFA does, like just from a pure dollar perspective, EA would probably be stupid to do that to FIFA. You know, maybe it's, but also like the thing they do to games like FIFA and Madden is like, what is it like halfway through the season or right when the season's over, they're like, by the way, this game's 20 bucks now. And they probably get a new influx of, of the price sensitive players that still want to play the current game or, or whatever. But, um, but also you can subscribe to the EA plus plan, whatever EA play plus, And you know, those, those people can get those games, get access to those games that way as well. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that they are probably making money quite well doing that sort of stuff. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. EA sports FC, not FIFA. FIFA will probably end up being a free to play game when they when they finally come back around with it. Right. That would make sense. Um, let's see. We got a few other things here. Um, Sony is rolling out a PlayStation loyalty program called PlayStation stars. Uh, Washington Post had this interview and they are looking to launch later this year. And this sounds to me sort of like the Game Pass Quests system that they have on Xbox along with the Microsoft Rewards program. Um, and they'll have tasks that you can complete like, hey, play a game every day, which that's there's play a Game Pass game every day or is is a Game Pass quest constantly. So um, but they are looking to turn this into rewards points that you can spend in the store on games. Uh, and also looking to do digital collectible type stuff where it's like, hey, you did a thing and now you get like a fancy graphic, a fun JPEG, to it, which led to the quote. This article ends with um, the question about like, hey, is this uh, is this on the blockchain of these NFTs? 
the quote is just, uh, it's definitely not NFTs. Definitely not. You can't trade them or sell them. It's not leveraging any blockchain technologies and definitely not NFTs. <laughs> um, yeah, relaunch PlayStation Home so I can take my PlayStation Stars trophies and hang them in a, in a place. Why not? Um, the quote from WAPO is, uh, while Sony was vague on details about the program, it said there will be a monthly check-in campaign that rewards users for playing at least one game as well as other campaigns for winning tournaments and earning specific trophies. Other campaigns might ask players to play a certain game online. So they're looking for ways that they can push the player base around if they want to be like, hey, we want to make sure a bunch of people played this game this month for whatever reason. Because they're selling new DLC, or, you know, wh whatever the reason is. Like, they can, they can start to do that. Um, also, it sounds like the first to get the platinum trophy of, for a game in a specific region will get a bonus. Where it's like, hey, you you were the first person in America or the first person in the Pacific time zone. I don't know how granular they'll get with it. You're the first person in Japan to get the Platinum Trophy, so you get a, a bonus grip of points. And now no one else can do that because you did it first. Uh, so they also, of course, in line with that, say like, and we're working on ways to secure that to make sure that no one can cheat that stuff. I don't know. I, I have not seen a lot of... Um, A lot of people hacking PlayStation trophies. I don't know. That doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It's just that I've never been aware of a widespread effort to uh, to to hack trophies. There have been save game editors that have worked on PlayStation 4, and I don't believe any of those work on PlayStation 5 at this time. But... Uh, I don't know what the status is because obviously you can hack a PlayStation 4. You can hack a PlayStation 3. Um, there's there always talk about maybe doing stuff with a PlayStation 5, but I don't think there's anything public for that stuff. Um, and so maybe there's potential there where like once you've hacked a, pla a PlayStation 4, you can you just throw your trophy. You can you can edit your trophy list there. Like that's that's probably that's how I would do it. Um, so hopefully, you know, Sony's going to need to find a way to make sure that those trophies are being earned in a legitimate fashion. This was something that Xbox had a, a very large problem with because you could once you, you know, you could always do it, but what it would became much easier once you could copy your Xbox 360 profile onto a USB stick because a lot of your achievement information was stored locally there. And so you could basically copy your Xbox 360 profile onto a PC Download a tool, and this was virus heaven because everyone's like, get free achievements. And it's like, oh, I got free viruses, whatever. And people were trying to sell versions of these tools, and they would be like, you can get 150,000 achievement points in four minutes. And you're like, great, that's, that's a great way to get banned. Um, and eventually a lot of people did get, did get banned on that stuff. Um, but not everyone. Um, and so you could edit your achievements and then you could re-sign your profile and then log back online to it. The, the local achievements would sync with the server and they would show up on your profile. This was really interesting because, and I've talked about this before, but like when, when there were, and there still are achievement and trophy tracking sites. You got your true trophies, true achievements, PSN profiles, all that sort of stuff out there. Um, back in the day when we were also tracking achievements and trophies and stuff like that uh, in, in the old times, um, uh, there, 
you would find unreleased or even unannounced games that would turn up on people's profiles. And it was very interesting because you would find the title ID for that title and you could theoretically hack it onto your profile if you were hacking profiles. Um, and so you would have a lot of people on these trophies, like, like basically like everyone wants to get the games first onto their site to track the achievements, to track the trophies. Like they want to get the lists, they want to see it. And so I, I think that some of the people involved in that business were, if not still are, they probably not still are. It feels like it's much more locked down. Um, hacking achievement lists onto their profiles for unreleased games so that they could scan that profile and pull it into their database. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It was a, it was a weird time. It was, a, it was a weird time. That's the short version of that is that it was a really weird, really weird time. <clears throat> so yeah, those systems were not secure and probably are still not. And so if Sony's going to attach money, which is, you know, like, a, you know, store credit in some ways to you getting a platinum trophy, they're going to have to make sure that their system is secure. The Sega Genesis Mini 2 has been announced for North America. This is the North American version of the Mega Drive Mini 2. Um, this is a miniature Genesis that is going to play some Genesis games and some Sega CD games. It's going to support, I believe, around 50 games. It'll be out October 27th, which is the same day as Japan. They're only going to sell this on Amazon, the American version of this. And it looks like Sega of Japan is running the sales. So, like, the price includes shipping from Japan, which is weird. Um... The system looks like a Genesis 2, which I thought always thought was completely fucking ugly. And it comes with a six-button controller, which is good. Um, it, it seems like it's going to have a lot of the same games so far, but they have not. The, the full games revealed so far, according to Polygon. Afterburner 2, Alien Soldier, Bonanza Brothers, a new Genesis port of Fantasy Zone, Lightning Force... The Sega CD version of Mansion of Hidden Souls, the Sega CD version of Night Striker, the Sega CD version of Ninja Warriors, which has some amazing FMV in it. And it's just an astounding FMV sequence in, in that Sega CD version of Ninja Warriors. Just outstanding. Outrun, Outrunners, Rainbow Islands Extra, Rolling Thunder 2, uh, the Sega CD version of Shining Force CD, Shining in the Darkness, the Sega CD version of Silphied, which was a big deal in its day. Sonic 3D Blast. Sonic CD for the Sega CD. Splatterhouse 2. A new Genesis port of Starmobile. Or Starmobile? Starmobile, which was previously a PC Engine game. Super Hang-On, The Ooze, Vector Man 2, and Virtua Racing. Um... That's cool, you know, that, that, that they're going to do an English version of this um, and that they're still going to include, like that Ninja Warriors Sega CD version, I don't think that came out in the States. Uh, but that's but that's a cool game. Night Striker. Yeah, sure, people should see more of that. I am more interested in the USB Cyber Stick. Alongside the Japanese announcement of this, they revealed an afterburner-like controller with an analog stick and a throttle uh, that also has a few buttons in the middle and all this other stuff. And I believe Sharp made this back in the day uh, for the Genesis, and it also worked with a handful of Japanese computers. Uh, I I'm gonna, I think I want to buy one of those when they come out 
and import one of those. I doubt they'll bring that out in the U.S. Um, because I think that would be a cool way to play the arcade version of Afterburner on a PC. <laughs> and so having a USB uh, controller in that configuration I think would be rad. That might also be a really good analog stick for playing something like a Space Harrier. So I am um, probably going to pick one of those up and try to find out more about it. Um, Konami, which is, uh, they used to, they, uh, they used to make video games back in the day, uh, back in the eighties. They made, gosh, trying to think franchises that you may have be, would have heard of that Konami put out. Um, they did castle, they did Castlevania when video game Castlevania, not Pachinko Castlevania. Uh, Contra was one of theirs, I think, you know, and through acquisition, they now control Bomberman, which is a real tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Frogger people, Konami, the Frogger people, Super Cobra, you're a Super Cobra. That's Konami. They, uh, the 35th anniversary of the original release of Metal Gear came and went on July 13th of this year. That's that MSX version, the original, actual, proper Metal Gear, which is crazy if you haven't played it. Um, if you're familiar with Nintendo-ass Metal Gear and, of course, Nintendo-ass Snake's Revenge, Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 on the MSX are fascinating video games to, to check out this many years later. Like, they are, they're interesting. I, I'm not going to say that they feel great i'm not going to say that they are amazing video games but they're still they're they they're still cool and they run well on a variety of emulators and fpga-esque solutions you want to play metal gear on a mister you super fucking can english versions all that stuff you can you can do all that uh but if you're if you're a fan of those metal gear games give those a look they're they're interesting anyway if you've been paying attention, you may have noticed that Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 have been off sale for a very long time. Uh, or actually, as a very, and by a very long time, do I mean like November of last year? Is it actually not that long a time? Anyway, uh, those games have been pulled. Uh, Polygon uh, posits that it is apparently due to the use of historical footage, that maybe the license to that footage expired and as such the games were pulled from sale uh, as a part of the tweet they put out uh, about the 35th anniversary of original Metal Gear they uh, they say that they are this is translated from Japanese they say they are preparing to resume sales of titles that have been temporarily suspended without mentioning those games by name <laughs> in that case but like that's that's the stuff that it seems like that they would be referencing is, is the MGS two and three or, you know, I don't know whether they're going to, if they're going to yank that footage or if they have just relicensed the footage or, or whatever. Um, but that's news on the metal gear front, which we were talking about. I think just last week about the notion of just like, Hey, you extend the timeline out long enough. They will eventually put those games out again. And I think that that's, uh, 
a good a sign as any. I don't know if, you know, this could just be them putting those versions back up on the digital storefronts that they were removed from and just having the same versions just sitting there rotting. Um, but at least you'll be able to buy them, I guess. But um, this seems like something that would eventually lead to proper re-releases of the Metal Gear Solid games or those... Um, they have done like the HD collection, like they have done compilations of Metal Gear before. So maybe this leads to those being back. Um, but I, to, to me, when, when I look at Konami and I look at Konami's output and, and what they're likely to do, um, I think a, a another reissue, another remake, not a full on remake, a, another remaster of those Metal Gear Solid games feels like something that they will definitely do. You know, they'll just like, oh, well, hey, we can, we can put these back out again. We will, um, and, and sell them again because they might as well. Uh, I, I think that, that, that again, that just seems like something that's it's sort of no brainer at this point. They took a crack at making their own Metal Gear with Metal Gear Survive. It's fucking sucked. It was terrible. Um, I don't think that the audience right now is willing to give them any rope when it comes to a new Metal Gear. I don't think they have any credibility when it comes to announcing a new Metal Gear game. So, but but I do think that there's there's money to be made in taking these games and finding someone who will do the work to port them. Even Metal Gear Solid 4, which I know people are convinced is just going to rot on a PlayStation 4 forever or whatever. Um Three, four, three, three, man, no, four, three, three, yeah, that is, it really is rotting there, um, anyway, that is, they will eventually, they will eventually find someone to do that port work. They will eventually say like, okay, we're going to pull the trigger on this development. And yeah, we know that parts of it will be expensive and, and whatever else, but like that's, uh, that just seems like something that where eventually that makes them enough money on the other end that they go like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll do the, we will do the most minimal port work to get this game running on a modern platform and put it back out because we think that will make money. I just, I think Konami is a company that will find a way to make to make Metal Gear money. Maybe that maybe that makes me crazy. I don't know. But uh and last story, hey, Bayonetta 3. It's coming out October 28th. That's it. They put it in a trailer or whatever, but like I I didn't I didn't watch it. I don't need to see the new Bayonetta trailer. They're making a new Bayonetta and they finally said, "Hey, we're going to put it out." <laughs> um right up against Halloween, which I guess, I don't know, sure. That seems like a, a reasonable Time to put it out, so so sure. Go ahead and do that. We are very excited, if not slightly nervous, in this household uh, for the new Bayonetta. My wife did watch the new trailer and did not seem 100% sold on the direction of the trailer, but I did not get into it with her about why. Um, but yes, that game's going to finally come out. At this rate, you know, she'll be... I don't know, a third of the way through Rune Factory 5 by the time Bayonetta comes out. So we'll see. 
Um, all right. Why don't we get into some emails here? And I don't, I don't have, I don't, I'm, I'm looking for email music. So one thing, someone wrote in, I don't have their name in front of me right now. Uh, but, um, someone wrote in and said, Hey, on that ad free version of the podcast, uh, like what I've been doing is just cutting out the ads and literally just cutting out the ads. And so those breaks go from like, let's take a break. All right, we're back in a way that is somewhat jarring. And I'm like, ah, I've been thinking for a while, like I should probably find some little bit of music to go in those gaps just so it makes a little bit more sense for people listening. Um, and I don't have maybe that, well, that's a pretty good one. We got this one. Some, just some stuff I pulled. Um, it's just some, a little shorties. We got the news, the news one. We can't, we can't use the news one for that. That won't make any sense. Um, Anyway, some break, some uh, a brief break stinger, and also some music for the emails. You know, we we need a little something, something there. So I've I've got an abundance of uh, royalty free music sitting on the hard drive right now. That I'm not gonna. I am, in fact, as I'm saying, I'm not gonna click into this. I I literally started clicking into this. Uh, let's see. All right. Podcast at guard.bike is the email address. You can send in your emails and I will read through them and we'll see how it goes. Uh, let's pull them up here. I think I am finally close to clearing out the backlog of emails in this box. There are still emails in here from June 7th, which is, if you remember correctly, when we started this whole mess. So, long time coming. For this email from Matt, who says, have you tried to play any games with your kid? I got mine started when she was about three and a half, I guess with Super Mario 3 and Super Mario World. She really got into Journey in the past year. She's five now. She likes playing Ghost, Ghost of Tsushima. Not the best choice for a five-year-old, I know. And Horizon. We play Overcooked together as well, but she's a terrible teammate. She also got really good at Astro's Playland, which actually blows my mind watching her play. Yeah, um... She is... My daughter is starting to show a little bit of interest in video game machines and controllers, but hasn't really figured out the gamepad to on-screen movement stuff. Um, I think I said a few weeks ago that I uh, I had her playing some Pac-Man. Um, and, uh, and that was going reasonably well. Sorry, I'm turning on the air conditioning on account of it's 88 degrees outside. And I'm pretty sure it's even hotter in here. That's probably not true. But it is quite hot here in the machine room. Um, but yeah, she's still figuring out like the, what does a D-pad do to, to on-screen stuff? 
I will say one of my uh, one of my new one of the new banes of my existence as my daughter starts to gravitate more towards screens and touching things and grabbing things and running away is the whoever designed the Nintendo Switch front end software to be something that you can unlock by hitting the same button three times in a row. As opposed to entering a specific three button code or entering some kind of specific, just mash any button three times in a row, which is exactly what any child is going to do. She, I have, I have found her on the eShop screen on the switch. Uh, she has, uh, my, my wife has left Rune Factory 5 running on a switch that was powered off. She has found her way back into Rune Factory 5. And, uh, I believe cost my wife some progress. Um, she has found her way to my friends list and flagged a few of my friends as best friends. All because the Nintendo Switch can be unlocked by you just hitting the same button three times in a row. Any button. Three times in a row. Um. Yeah, the, the button combo that makes sense for like, hey, it's in my pocket. Hey, it's in a bag. You know, like that probably prevents most accidental unlocks. But in this specific situation... It's terrible. <laughs> um, it's terrible. And they should fix that. Or allow an option to change it. <clears throat> All right. Huma TT from the Discord says... Jeff, you're old. Fuck you. It says, Jeff, you're old. I'm old. A lot of your audience is old. A lot of your audience is not. We all love games old and new. How do you process that doing what you do? Well, I, you know, I, I, how do I process that? Like I, I have been playing you know, the thing I always say, like, so I'm about as old as Saturday Night Live. I was born the same year that that show started, 1975. And uh, there are video games from before that. But in a general sense, I kind of think of it as I am about as old as video games. And... um I don't know, like, I still, I, hey, guess what? I still like video games, and they keep making more of them. And the crazy thing about now, about right now, um, when you look at the types of games that are coming out brand new, and you look at how many different ways there are to play old video games, and how old video games get brought back again, whether it's through, you know, legal compilations like this Capcom thing, or, you know going to the dark side and downloading hot ROMs and installing them on an SD card and laughing maniacally as you do so. 
compressing to ISOs, down to CHDs, and becoming rock hard while you do so. Um, you know, there, whatever. The, 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 there's never been a better time to be into an abundance of video games from across decades of this industry's existence. You know what I mean? And that means if you want to go back and play all of the old Game Boy Pokemon games, you totally fucking can. If you want to go back and experience the Mario franchise from its beginnings, if you want to go back and play a bunch of actual real Donkey Kong, you can. If you want to go back and see Pac-Man and play it for yourself, you can. You're going to miss out on a lot of the context. Right. And that's where I think, you know, you have the video game history foundation. It seems very focused on that context and helping to ensure that that context is preserved for people who want to do that research. And I think that that's a fascinating angle to take on it. Um, but if you're a player, that's the, you know, we talk about like, you know, it's free to play games. How oh, this don't get much more fucking free than that. But like there are thousands, tens of thousands of games that you could have access to. And, and, and it's so you have a generation of people that have grown up over the last 15, 20 years. Well, when it, I mean, you know, really we're talking about the mid nineties game boy emulation, I think kind of became a thing around, let's call it like 95, 96, somewhere in there. And then NES came not long after that. And you had VSMC come out with SNES emulation and it was fucked for a long time and they, but whatever MAME came out Mr. Do emulation was not far behind like you know the the greats of the arcade scene MAME started you know MAME came around all that sort of stuff so we'll, we'll talk about like since like the mid 90s um where you had access to that stuff and for the longest time Game Boy was the only thing that ran well um and there was an MSX emulator anyway whatever so you have kids growing up on the internet that understand how to get things on the internet, that understand how to make things happen on the internet, lining up with the availability and the accessibility of like an overwhelming amount of historical video games. And so you end up with kids that like played SNES games growing up in 2002 because it was free, quote unquote. You know what I mean? I mean, they're stealing, you know, legality aside, let's, that's a separate conversation. We all know the, that aspect of it, but it's, it's not really relevant here. Kids are going to find a way, right? Much like I found a way to get my hands on as many Commodore 64 games as possible without buying any of them. Um, and so in conjunction with that, or maybe as a direct response to that, like look at a lot of the games that are coming out now you, you run into a lot of indie games that are very directly inspired by the look, if not the feel and gameplay of some of those games from that era. And some of them are being made by people who were far too young to play them when they were originally released. But that's still, those games end up still being at least somewhat influential even if not directly, you know, the style of like, you know, the, the kind of quote unquote new old game, uh, the, Hey, we will check it out. We made a game that looks like a SNES game. 
hey, check it out. We made an old looking busted PlayStation one game, you know, and, and, and so you have this abundance of current indie games that are taking the old game concepts forward while still kind of maintaining the look and feel of an older game. While you also have gigantic, massive budget, insane fucking games like a God of War or a Grand Theft Auto, just like the scope of these fucking projects is disgusting. It's so big. It's so crazy. It's so cool that we have like people spending all that fucking money on a single game still. It's ridiculous. But you also, you still have these smaller teams making games that are smaller, if not in scope, then in terms of just like production. And But they're still, it's not to say they're low production value. It's that they're a very specific and attainable level of production. And it's awesome because you have all of these styles colliding at the same time. All these games are coming out all the time. X-Zodiac is coming out this week. That Star Fox inspired thing. Uh, alongside Forza Lego DLC and a fucking really nice looking game about a cat. Like it's fucking wild. And then on top of that, you've got, you know, more old games than you could ever fucking play in your lifetime available to you just out there. If you know where to look, man. So I, that, that to me that is how I process that is that all of this stuff is happening at the same time. And you see the same thing happening with music to a certain extent because Spotify and, and, you know, like all these platforms, all these streaming platforms have kind of put all of music on an even playing field. That's not true. That's not actually true. If we really dig into it, because obviously they have promotional mechanisms in place and algorithms in place that are designed to push the hot new shit to you or whatever at the expense of older music. But you know, that aside, there's you, you have people in their twenties that only listen to music from the seventies and it's fucking crazy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And you, you know, obviously like a lot of old television is out there too, you know, like the, the, and, and all that gets presented in a relatively even handed fashion to where you have, you know, like look at fucking TikTok, Um, and like its ability to drag an old song back and make it big again in some weird way. You know, like there's like shit is fucking wild. It ain't never been like this before. You know, and, and you see that across a lot of mediums. And so like, I think with video games specifically, it's a really fascinating time and it has been for a while now where you have, where players have access to, you know, by and large, like the entirety of game history for all intents and purposes. Obviously there are, are huge gaps in that. There are games that are lost to time and all that sort of stuff, but it's really nuts. If you really sit and think about it. Um, that, that players have the, the ability to access so many different things at a given time. And, and I think about that. So when, when I think about like, yes, the, a lot of the audience is old. A lot of the audience is not like at the end of the day, I, I like games from across all eras. And I think that is, 
that is something I value and that is something that I care about. It is in some ways when it comes to media out there is one of the few things I, I care about is current video games and how that mashes up with old video games. I think that you have a lot of people out there that get to somewhere, you know, whether it's my age or, or younger or whatever, you have a lot of people that just stop. And I guess this happens with music too, right? But like you have a lot of people that just like stop staying current with video games and they become fucking angry in real weird ways. Uh, and, and those are the people that are like, back in my day, we, the, you put the cartridge in and it worked. And that's it. Back in my day, you just put the video game, you, you blew on it and you put it in. And it just worked and you didn't have to download patches. I'm like, fuck you. What? That's like, sure. Yes. Should games ship in a state where they are not broken? Yes. But. What is it? The, the Amico model of like, yeah, we're not going to allow patches. Well, you know, whatever. Leave Amico out of it. That's a whole, that's a, that will derail this conversation even further. But like, I think that attitude, when you look at what video games are and what videos, video games can be today. It's just like so fucking backwards. I, I like people that take that approach as like a, um, as a way to say, oh, video games were better before. Fuck off. Holy shit. What the fuck is wrong with you? No, like, hey, I love old video games. I, I, I love video, I love old video games in a way that it is at times indefensible. Uh, because of the specific old video games that I fucking love. But new video games are rad. New video games are fucking insane. Look at these fucking things. Look at the the depth. Look at the, you know, like set aside the predatory nature of some free-to-play games. The idea that you can play a game and have it continue to be updated in a way that keeps it relevant and new and fresh and exciting for five fucking years like a world of warcraft or just like the different things that are enabled by online connectivity I, I don't you know you have to be like willingly turning a blind eye to cool shit to have that attitude you know and i, I don't understand those people and and that's that's like my big problem when it comes to old games when it comes to the communities that form around old games and emulation and all that sort of stuff is you encounter a lot of fucking people that are just like waiting, waiting, dying for an opportunity to bring their their loathing of modern video games um, into the conversation. And that takes, you know, that's not just people that were around in the 80s or whatever, you know, playing games then. I think it's you have multiple generations of it now. And I think sometimes it manifests in different ways where, but I, you know, I think not everyone's going to like every genre of game. And, you know, I, I can be a, a, something of a crank when it comes to certain types of games, I guess. But like, I think the thing that I really don't like is when people try to draw the line one way or the other around 
I only play big video games or fuck all the big video games. I only play indies. I think that either end of those people, the people that only play the, the gigantic big video games, the call of duties and assassins creeds and, and all that stuff. And they look at, they look at indie video games and they look down their nose and go, Oh, look at this bullshit. I think are super fucking insufferable. But I also think that the people that like are like, I don't, I would never look at a assassin's creed. Oh, Instead, I'm over here playing these three small games that you need to know about. Like, I, I, I find those people just as insufferable. There are amazing video games that exist at a gigantic scale. There are amazing video games that exist at a very tiny individual developer scale. And I think to, to close yourself off to those whole cloth is fucking insane. Like, you know... From a genre perspective, I get it. Like, there are certain things where you're just like, okay, look, I am probably never going to play um, another long Japanese RPG ever again. And I'll say that until one comes along that I play, right? It'll always, you know, it happens, right? Um, but, like, there are just, I'm probably never going to play a, a simulation-style sports game with any regularity. Right? Like, I'm, I'm probably not going to ever, like, be like, what's going on in Madden? I'm just never going to be that guy. Because I don't give a shit about football, primarily. Um, so I think it makes sense from a genre, from a personal taste perspective on that front, in terms of just like, this is not my type of game. But I think to discount a game because of its budget and scope, big or small... Is just fucking crazy to me. I, I, I don't get it at all. Like those people, I, I, yeah, I, I, those, those people, again, like I just, insufferable is the word that comes to mind. Um, but anyway, that, that's how I process doing what I do. Thanks for writing in TT from the Discord. Um, Teddy writes in and says, I was just sitting here playing Microsoft Flight Simulator streaming from my PC to the Moonlight app on my hacked Switch. Yeah. What's the weirdest or most unconventional way you've enjoyed a video game? That's a pretty good one. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a, like a Steam. Yeah, that, that Moonlight app runs on Switches and you can connect it up to stream stuff from your PC in a Steam Link like way, like way. I have never actually used Moonlight. I did install it at some point, but I just didn't really run into a, a good situation to use it. Um, I'm going to say the weirdest or most... Well, okay. If I'm saying the weirdest or most unconventional way I've enjoyed a video game, that's a different thing. But the weirdest and most unconventional way I've played a video game is probably running Doom on my digital camera. I had a, what is it, the DC-265 Kodak camera from the 90s that had a, a early, early aughts maybe, but, uh, you know, it had a little screen on the back of it, had a little D-pad uh, that you would use to navigate the menu, and you could straight up install Doom on it. It was one of the first, like, can it run Doom? Like, it was one of the, one of the first one of those that went around, um... And there were, yeah, you could install Doom onto a compact flash card. Or I forget how you, like, you had to do weird shit to install it. But I got that running. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, I saw that you can play Doom inside of Doom now. That's, sure. 
Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, if it's not that, then probably the weirdest or most unconventional way. I, I'm trying to remember if I actually physically held a controller for this or not, but Sony had an E3 party when E3 was in Atlanta at the top of a parking garage. This was the year that the Foo Fighters played. You may have heard discussed. Um, and they were broadcasting Gran Turismo with a projector onto the buildings across the street. And that's pretty weird. But I, but again, I can't remember if, if I physically played those. I think I did. I think I did grab a controller and play some, like, it was like Gran Turismo 2 or something. Um, on, a, on a building across the street, which is pretty crazy. But yeah, Doom on a camera is is certainly a a good a good weird one. Um Let's see. We've got a lot. We've got a, we're we are not going to get to all of the emails this week. The backlog is regenerating itself as we speak. This email from July 6th. So we're catching up. We're out of June. Um James from London writes says, do you think the enduring popularity of the Switch alongside the recent apparent popularity of the Steam Deck has got Microsoft thinking more seriously about a handheld console? This kind of device would seem to play into a large number of their strategic initiatives like Game Pass, streaming, etc. and also play to some of their strengths like hardware, software, platform integration, and so on. No. I don't. I think that Microsoft is is all in on the streaming stuff when it comes to this. I don't think that they have a lot of good reasons to make an Xbox version of a Steam Deck. I don't I don't see I just don't see that being where Microsoft is is aiming, you know? Um I think they will instead aim to get the streaming, the Xbox Cloud streaming stuff on as many different platforms as possible. Like televisions, you know, they're integrating into Samsung TVs. They will eventually have some kind of streaming puck or stick or whatever. Whether hockey is a net, whatever hockey metaphor. We got sticks, pucks. They got a streaming Zamboni that you can hook up to your television and play Xbox Cloud games on that. Um, No, the, the cloud stuff seems like their thing. And with that, it, it runs on phones. Like their goals aren't necessarily to sell a ton of hardware with that stuff. Their goals are to widen the number of people that are available to play their games. And so having a situation where the Xbox streaming stuff can run on your phone solves that problem immediately. And so the idea of, of engineering something with built-in hardware to run games natively and locally the way Valve has, I just don't see that as being a very big... I don't see that as being a market that Xbox needs to chase. Now, if the Steam Deck continues to blow up and they continue to hone it in such a way that it becomes a mainstream device, I think that's something that eventually Nintendo has to consider, but not in its, in its current form. The first iteration of the Steam Deck is not something Nintendo is like sitting there going, oh, fuck. Like they're, they're like, ah. But well, no, I bet they're like, ah, but also they're like, hmm. Keep an eye on those fuckers up the street. If they, if they keep making those things and they keep making them better, you let me know. But until then, ah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really, I, I don't think Xbox has any reason to do it for the same reasons they never really have. All the Xbox boy, X-Boy, 
talk, all the Xbox handheld talk. I feel like a lot of that stuff, a lot of those ships sailed when they got into the streaming stuff. That just seems like more there, <clears throat> more their speed. Uh, let's see here. Let's see here. Let's see here. I'm skipping a few of these to Jarrett in Sacramento wants to know what kind of Winamp skins I was using back in the day. But Jarrett had the silver brushed metal 70s hi-fi look. It was sick. I was never, I, there was like the ice skin or whatever. The, the, the bluey, whitey. Like it looked mostly like the official skin, but it was a different color scheme. I think I used that for a while. But I, I, I am not a, I was not a big Winamp skin person. I thought the default skins, the the what the bento or whatever you know the the stuff they were using, I thought that stuff was was mostly fine. Um, Peter writes in from Dallas, Texas, and uh, so we talked last week about the balls energy drink and uh, the the attack of the show parody of balls called. Kevin Pereira's sack and how I was, uh, I was a guest co-host on attack of the show the week that they rolled out sack at, I want to say it was QuakeCon. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, actually Peter's Peter's experienced sack from the other end. I experienced it from a television studio. He experienced it from QuakeCon 05. Um, in 05, I was attending QuakeCon where, when Kevin Pereira was going around shooting B-roll footage of people handling his sack, and I was fortunate enough to wrap my hands around it. Some details you left out when you explained it, I feel your listeners need to know. The sack was in a shape of a giant black penis with two large balls dangling at the bottom like water balloons. I remember that. I remember there being the, the water balloony kind of thing, but yes, there, I, guess, I guess it was literally you were drinking it out of the head of a giant fake cock, weren't you? When you were given the sack, you were instructed to furiously beat it off before consuming. I did as I was told and went to town, then held it up to my mouth so it may shoot its load into my mouth. Jesus Christ, Peter. What came out of the sack was only water. Being 15 years old at the time, I was quite disappointed. But looking back, I'm sure it was for the best because if they had used an actual energy drink, cleanup would have been a pain in the balls. While footage of me getting splashed in the face was not used, I still showed up in the group shots like when someone dressed up as Master Chief dumped the contents of the sack all over his head. Side note, Balls was also giving away their Slurpee variant Snowballs away for free at the convention, filling up the free 32-ounce QuakeCon cups. Okay. Thank you, Peter, for the additional insight on that. Yes, there was a... And I don't remember if on TV if they had to pixelate it out or if it was just a vaguely penis-shaped thing that they could still show on TV. But they did kind of whack it off. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. G4, man. They got away with some stuff. <laughs> um, let's see. Wade from Oregon writes, says, what's the most amount of money you have paid to play a single game? I'd imagine it to be an arcade cabinet of some kind. So how about you name that? And also one thing that isn't one of those. I got my Steam Deck recently, and so far all I've played on it is Stardew Valley. This is exactly what I wanted it for. My biggest annoyance with Stardew previously was that I couldn't migrate my save between the Switch and my PC. 
so I had to choose between playing in bed or at my desk. Now I can play wherever I damn want. I'm sure I'll play something else at some point, but I really did spend 650 bucks to play a game I already have hundreds of hours in, and slugging around in bed all afternoon after work has been wonderful. That is nice. Um, For me, it's Mark of the Wolves. The Neo Geo home cart version of Mark of the Wolves. Um, I paid more for that cartridge than I did for any of my arcade cabinets uh, that I have owned over the years. Um, I believe that was $1,100 or $1,400 somewhere somewhere in there. Um, and I bought that in Japan. I was in a frenzy. I, w- I was in a, like a fugue state of just like, I've got yen in my pocket and I need to buy video games with all this yen lest I have to change it back into dollars I'll lose money on that change so I might as well spend all this money Ah, and then I bought Mark of the Wolves Um, and then the Dreamcast version of it came out you know and and I was like oh the value of this cartridge is going to tank and sure enough the value the resale value of Mark of the Wolves did take a pretty big dip uh, for a time in the 2000s there. But I was checking price charting not that long ago and on the other side of all those years. Um, it is worth more than I paid for it. So so it's an investment. <laughs> um, actually, a lot of other Neo Geo games have, have really gone crazy. I bought, um, I bought SVC Chaos, SNK versus Capcom, brand new. For 300 bucks or something. And uh, I bought the, I think what they called the US version, even though the cartridges were the same, there was like different packaging uh, from NCS back in the day. And that is worth some number of thousands of dollars. I don't, I don't know. Um, yes, but I still own that Mark of the Wolves. It's still in great condition. That SVC Chaos is still in great shape. I bought the last couple of Neo Geo King of Fighters brand new as well and have those. Um, and those, those of all the value on those is, is fucking crazy. Not that it's, I don't, I don't know. Like, not that I'm looking to sell stuff. I don't know. Like, should I, I, I don't know. Like I, I have my sealed copy of Ocarina of time, the gold version, um, that I should probably get graded, um, because it's sealed and magical chase and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, that's the that's the one I paid the most for just out of pocket. Um Alex asks uh Al- Alex from Kelowna asks, "Do you think we'll ever get to play Einhander on a PlayStation 5?" I would hope so. I would hope that as they get deeper into the PlayStation 1 stuff that they widen that yeah, I you know, Einhander's not a licensed game, right? They should be able to But they should be able to put Einhander out. Einhander's a cool shooter. They should make a new Einhander actually also while we're on the subject. Okay, uh Ransom from Pittsburgh writes in and says, "Loving the show. So am I. Thank you." I don't own a PC, but I am very curious about the Steam Deck because I love my Switch and portable gaming in general. Would not having a PC affect my experience? 
Could I download emulators directly from the Steam Deck, or would I have to plug it into a computer? Thanks. So you you can, in fact, I did install all of the emulation stuff onto my Steam Deck from the Steam Deck. Like you can get to a desktop mode and you can download all the stuff there and run the scripts that you need. There, there's a couple different packages now uh, for installing emulators on the Steam Deck. You can do it all manually if you want to as well. That's totally doable. Um, I think the trouble you would run into is getting the actual old video games onto your Steam Deck. Because, yeah, you could download them online. You could open a web browser on a Steam Deck, and I guess you could find them somewhere on the web and get them and, and all that stuff. You could buy a mouse and a keyboard to make that a little less of a pain in the ass, I suppose. Um, but what I did is I, I enabled SSH and uh, secure FTP on the Steam Deck so that I could log into it from another machine and FTP the files over. And that was much easier, uh, but also I already had all the files that I wanted to move over. So, um, acquisition without a proper computer is doable, but boy, that seems like it would be a pain in the ass. Uh, and you would certainly want to get a mouse and a keyboard for, for that sort of process or, you know, but like without a PC, yeah, yes. You access a, a shared folder in windows, you could mount that as drive. But again, if you're someone who doesn't own a PC, that's not really going to be an option for you. Um, you're going to need to track that stuff down. I mean, what you can do is if, if you can get a hold of a PC that has that stuff on it, or you can acquire it all, borrow, you know, like sit at a friend's computer or whatever, like you can take the well, you know what? Actually, I did this and it sucked. You can take the SD card out and mount it on a PC, but the file, the the uh, the format, the, what is it? The EXT4 is the, the file system on that SD card. Uh, I found to be a really shitty experience to mount and copy things to on Windows. In fact, I thought I did it all. I thought I was just, oh, I have my SD card in here. I have downloaded software to make it recognizable in Windows, which is not an easy feat. And I'm copying all these things over, but none of it actually wrote to the image um, because the file system was less like, nope, you didn't, you didn't finish the mount, you know, whatever happened. None of those files were there at the end. So that's when I was like, oh, um, Sam in, on the discord had said something about like, Hey, you can, you can just turn on SSH. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay. I'll just do that. And so I ended up copying all those files over that way and, um, and going about it like that. So yeah, it, it, all that stuff's doable because again, the steam deck is a PC, but it's as far as like convenience and, and all that sort of stuff of like going and downloading random files off the internet and putting them somewhere and making sure they get copied to the right folder is a, it's a bit of a bear. It's a bit of a bear. But if you know that going in, you know, I think you could probably do it. Um, let's see here. Last. Last questions here. Uh, Tom writes in and says, uh, Tom from Torrance. Don't go to court in Torrance. Um, 
Long time fan. Uh, loving all the new content. Thank you. Uh, I actually grew up in Northern California and spent part of my adult life up there as well as an 80s baby in NorCal with a predile uh, predilection for rap music I grew up with and am very fond of Bay Area rap music. Aside from the heaviest hitters like E-40, etc., who are or were some of your favorites that don't really get talked about much these days or ever? And then he says, Andre Nicotina is probably my favorite rapper ever, depending on the day, my mood, and driving the streets of L.A. Uh, blasting, blasting hot jalapenos. That's, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, okay. He, he followed up to say, actually, that's not a nicotine. Anyway. Um, are you way into guys like San Quinn, Ryder J, Clyde, J Biz, etc.? Would love to hear your thoughts. Hello, love, Tom. Um, I like 415, which uh, they were from Oakland, but before Oakland became the 510, uh, 415 made a lot of sense. That's Richie Rich. Uh, he, he made. I feel like Richie Rich's maybe best-known stuff ended up being he was on a couple of Tupac records. Um, but yeah, 415 had a couple of albums. Uh, one of which came out when Richie Rich was in jail. Uh, he got caught with cocaine in his hubcaps, I believe. Um, and went away for a while. Uh, and then Richie Rich put out some solo stuff. He had beef with the guys in 415 because they put out a record without him and all that stuff. But like, I think I actually think that record's pretty good too. Uh, 415-in is a classic. I think IMP, the Ill-Mannered Posse. I love IMP. Um... I think I, I want to say everyone in IMP has passed away. I think Kunut passed away. I think C Fresh is also not with us anymore. But uh, yeah, no, the, they put out an album called Ill Mannered Players that was a little more mainstream or like broke a little bit bigger and was a little bit easier to find these days. But they had some fucking 80s ass fucking rap tapes that uh, are extremely good. Um, What else, man? Mac Dre. Uh, you said Dre Dog. Uh, yeah. That's, um, hmm. But those are probably my those are probably my big ones. Is is of like stuff. That, oh, uh, Big Ocean Mob four one five. Big Ocean Mob, big with two G's. They put out like one tape uh, that had a track called uh, Wrangler Tough on it. Uh, that had like really cool bass, and that's probably that's probably it. You know, obviously, you know, like too short and fucking all the hyphy shit, and uh, you know, all the all that stuff that came along later is a lot of fun too. But um, I tend to go with some stuff a little bit older than that. Um. But yeah, no, there's a lot of guys that were on some of those records too, uh, that, that put out a lot of, um, oh man, what's the, I need to look this up now. I should know this. All right. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on here. I've got to load up my library and I've got to type in coffee beans. Wait, where? Oh yeah. Selsky. Young Selsky. Uh, with, uh, 
the album Canadian Bacon and Hash Browns from 98. That's a good one, too. That's a good one, too. Um, yeah, Keek the Sneak, Messy Marv, all that stuff, too. That's, that's, that's fun. But yeah, I don't know. I, the, that, that late 80s stuff, like around the time I got a, a driver's license and, and that sort of stuff was, yeah. We found some crazy shit. <laughs> you just go look at, you know, we, we drive to Novato because there's a, um, there was a shop there that sold rap tapes and they had a bunch of independent shit that you just couldn't find anywhere else. And, and you just look at, you know, you hadn't really heard of any of it because it's not like any of it was on MTV. I like Ray Love, Ray Love from Santa Rosa. That, that track, Get My Money On is a classic and he's from Santa Rosa. So it was like, man, that's, that's right there. That's right there, Ray Love. Wow. Um, all right, last question. Alex from Chicago says... I recently got my 512 gigabyte Steam Deck and got a 512 gigabyte SD card to go with it. How do you determine which games are lucky enough to get the fast SSD versus something that'll get thrown on the external drive? Um, for me, it's been anything I'm installing through Steam is going on the SSD and uh, all the emulation stuff lives on the SD card. I went ahead and got a one terabyte SD card for whatever reason. Um... Uh, but I've yet to install, I don't even, now that I think about it, I don't even know how to install Steam games to the external, how to manage libraries like that. I assume it's something, you know, uh, not too far off from, uh, from the process of maintaining multiple Steam libraries on a PC, but I just haven't had to do it. Um, I, I have about 300 gigs free on my internal storage on the Steam Deck right now. So I, I just haven't had a need to to uninstall anything or, or I don't know. I, I've been keeping the internal space tidy enough that, um, that I haven't had to manage it yet. But, uh, but yeah, once that time comes off to figure something out and we'll, we'll figure it out then. All right. That's going to do it for us here. Thanks everybody who sent in your emails again. Podcast at guard.bike is the email address. Send in a message to me. I will sift through it and read it. Um, I need to. I need to be better about unstarring these messages that I have read. Good. Okay. So we've got a handful for next week already. But yes, please send in your questions to me. Your questions and comments. We will take them. We will read them. All that shit, y'all. That's gonna do it for us here. Uh, I hope everyone has a fantastic rest of your week. If you are. Uh, Let's see. Uh, I'm going to be streaming again on Friday. Also, if you head over to YouTube right now, you, the videos of Escape Academy and Capcom Arcade Second Stadium are both live now. Go check those out and, you know, smash the bell. I don't know. Hit the gong uh, and all that shit. Head over to patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman. If you want to get involved, if you want to get an ad-free version of this show, if you want to get access to the Discord, if you want to get access to the Jeff Gersman Hall of Fame, the Gersman Advisory Panel, all of that and more available now. EnjoyYourGaming.com is maybe another way to get to that page. If you cannot remember how to spell my last name, that's going to be the thing that drives uh, this stuff getting renamed. Because <laughs> I feel like everything I've guessed it on so far 
people have spelled my name wrong in the title. So, uh, I don't know. Um, we'll rename it to game buzz. <laughs> is that taken? Is there a game? Is there a games buzz? I'm going to get the game buzz. I don't know. Um, anyway, back Friday, maybe we'll play some dragon's dog. Maybe we'll play some other stuff. I know. Yeah. Maybe we'll play some stray and stuff instead, actually, because I want to check some of that out. Uh, anyway, everyone take care of yourselves. We back next Tuesday with another episode of the Jeff Gerstman show for that ass. And, uh, everyone stay frost, stay frosty. If that's possible. I don't know. It's warm out there. It's real warm out there. Hey, See you next Tuesday.